Thank you for joining Marianne and the professor. Uh, this morning, I am delighted to be joined by Ben Rubin. And um, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It's a pleasure. So Ben, I first heard you on a podcast with James Dellingpole, and I was absolutely ecstatic when I heard you talking with James because I quickly ascertained that you are um, uh, a consultant at a very high level with tremendous experience in change management, strategy consulting. Um, you're from the UK, which is kind of the hub of the world for, for you know, con business consulting. Um, so I have to tell you, when I heard that interview, I was sitting on the edge of my seat. I couldn't wait to hear what you had to say. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> for you know, um, I don't know if you reached out to James or James reached out to you, but that was a fascinating conversation that you had with James Dellingpole. Um, so for those who don't know who you are, can you please just uh, give us a rundown on your very interesting background and expertise? Yes, absolutely. I, I would be delighted to. So um, I'm Ben Rubin. I am an Englishman living in London. And for the past 18 years or thereabouts, I've been working in the consulting industry. So different flavors of corporate consulting advising the leaders of large companies international brands names that you would have heard of across every industry sector as well as doing work in government and elsewhere uh, i've been advising them uh, on growth and transformation and in the last 10 years in particular in the deployment of digital technologies and the uh, transformational impact that those technologies have had on their customer base, but then also inside the organization as well. So the types of skills, the types of capabilities, the different technologies that need to be implemented, the uh, types of teams that you need to have in place in order to operate in a, in a new economic system, essentially. Um, and uh, my, my career was... Um, uh, is there kind of two halves to it? Uh, the first half I was in the creative consulting world. Um, and I see a very clear distinction between creative consulting and analytical consulting. Yeah. So creative being generative, like we're creating new things, whereas the analytical side of the consulting world is much more about looking at what's already there and quantifying it and optimizing it. And 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 um, that's more the kind of management consulting industry. Um, but I started off my career in, in creative consulting, in design, in branding, communications, large scale events and conferences and big transformation programs. Um, and I worked in small independent agencies, but then also a bunch of the big networks as well. So WPP, uh, Interpublic Group, like the big listed corporate communications groups, um, the big ad advertising networks, I worked inside them. And then around 2012, I got a new, I got a new job working in this the area of digital. So I was actually understanding, you know, how do we deploy these new technologies that are coming through? Like, what does a mobile device mean for, you know, banking or 
uh, transportation or healthcare or whatever it might be, right? Um, and uh, which was a which was a, a good move on my part. It was a prescient move because I could see that there were complex questions that were going to need to be answered in that area that weren't being answered very well at the time by the by the existing players, either in the creative consulting space or in the analytical the management consulting space so i joined a boutique company boutique consultancy called seren in london and basically uh helped to grow that and to work with and find clients in a whole bunch of different industries so a lot of banking obviously because it's in london not in the payments industry media um healthcare you know a bunch of the other places that i've already touched on and then, um, and that was a, a very hot space. Yeah. So, and, and particularly in London at that time, there were a whole um, kind of generation of um, boutique consulting, boutique advisory firms who specialized in digital and digital transformation, who were then acquired over a period of probably six, seven, eight years. There was a real gold rush, basically, of these big advisory firms, the the Accentures and the EYs and the Deloitte's and the KPMG's and the PWC's and the BCG's and the Baines and the McKinsey's of this world going around and acquiring digital and design capabilities. Yeah. So they'd go and buy these boutique firms and they would integrate them into their existing proposition and introduce them then to their clients and use that as a way to extend the service lines that they were able to offer and their ability to improve their ability to operate with credibility in, in that space, that kind of digital space. Um, and because of that acquisition, I then became a director at EY. Ernst and, and Young. We, Ernst and Young. Ernst and Young, yeah. We're going to have to, we're, you gotta, you, we're going to have to keep you from using the acronyms that you know so well, but some of the uh, viewers won't. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, well, yeah. well it, is, it is actually called EY now, so they changed oh, the it? name. It's oh, not. Okay. Yeah, it's not. It's it's not. And actually, I think they've all done the same thing, right? So it's it's so it's not Price Waterhouse Coopers anymore. It's actually it is actually PwC. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So that so those things have happened, right? So the 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 actual like the names over the doors are. I mean, and obviously they're quite out of date, right? Because actually, I don't know. I think that those like the Ernst and the. I mean, first of all, I think the Ernst and the Young were that was a, an earlier integration like back in the 60s or something of two different firms and then you know they went on to become what they've become but yeah anyway it's it's yeah ey ernst and young um and i became a, a director which is one below partner so i wasn't a partner um a, a couple of people that were in the company that i was working for sarah and they did become partners um uh, but i was a director so one below and um, we then had that whole experience of being acquired and integrated into the firm and doing joint business development and joint project delivery and kind of combining the capabilities of the two entities, right? So what we did and what, what they did and bringing those together into a, a beautiful unified operating unit that we could go out and sell and you know, do cool stuff with basically that was, that was the game that we were playing. So, wow. Yeah, so, so was... just to bring us up to speed on um, what, what is the compensation like in these companies? What's the range of how much these execs are making in these consulting firms? So, I mean, it, 
they're 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 pretty well paid. I mean the the top the top people. Um, so I think in in the UK, the average partner salary uh, for EY and KPMG, I believe last year was about three quarters of a million pounds. So that's just over a million dollars. And then Deloitte and PwC were over a million. So they're doing better and they've been doing better for a while in the UK. Um, so they, they, they're putting, yeah, what was that? Like 1.3, $1.4 million a piece for the mm -hmm. partners. Mm -hmm. um, average. So there'll be some a bit on lower, some on considerably higher. And I believe if I remember the top person in the UK, EY was on about 3 million. Yeah, so good, good money, very um, good money, and and how maybe expand on who are the big players in this industry in the consulting business? So the so I mean the the big ones, the most established and the bit the, the the most well known, right? So there's there are kind of there are two primary groups. One's called the Big Three, yeah, which is McKinsey, Bain, and BCG. And they're the strategy consultancies, right? So they do the the more high profile, higher value, strategic thinking for generally chief executives or people very, very close to the chief executive sitting around the boardroom table. And they are they're they're very well known, but they're comparatively small actually when you compare them to some of the bigger firms. So McKinsey's got about 30,000 people working for it. Bain's got about 20,000 working for it. BCG's got about 15,000 people working for it, right? So they're not small, but the in comparison to some of the other consulting firms, they are they 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 are they they're relatively small and um they are they're elite units ultimately, right? I mean and you know they talk about themselves in that way and they operate in that way right so they've got um uh, higher day rates than anybody else better client network than anybody else better branding really uh, you know uh, than than anybody else right so people know of mckinsey probably you know i think people outside of the industry have heard that name they'll be aware of it they know that there's something about it right there right um and um they've they've been in that those sort of dominant positions as part of the big three for decades now right i mean so that formed you know 20 30 40 years ago now and they, they are very much kind of embedded into that that ecosystem in in the corporate world and then you have the big four so you've got the big three and the big four and the big four actually relate to the um the, the big global orbit audit firms um, so that is EY, Deloitte, KPMG, PwC, and they're significantly bigger. So EY's got about a quarter of a million people globally. Deloitte's about 400,000. KPMG's about the same size as EY, about a quarter of a million. PwC's about 330,000 people. So they're, you know, a good 10 times the size of the of the big three. Um, they generally do less strategic work. There are people in those firms who get very upset that I've said that because they do have strategy offers, but they are not on a par with the McKinsey's, the BCG's of this world. Um, they're much bigger because they, they do more um, of the hands-on operational delivery of the work as opposed to just the upfront thinking, which is what you get a lot of the time with the McKinsey's of this world. Like they'll come in and say, 
we've crunched all this information and you need to do this. And then they go away and go off and do something else. Where with some of the, the big four firms, they'll actually be hanging around for years, potentially, you know, almost like an embedded partner to the clients that they're working with. And they also are still audit firms. So, and what I mean by audit is that's, that's the person who goes in and looks at the accounts every year and says, yes, the accounts have been filed correctly. Um, the money that you said is there is actually there. The statements that you're making publicly to um, the market and to investors and to regulators, all of that stuff stacks up and we will put our stamp of approval on it and um and you know we will we will we will assure people basically that that your accounts have been audited and they're verified and and uh, that you're actually what you you know you are actually what you say that you are what you're presenting yourself as like financially you are actually um as sound as as you're telling everyone so that's and that's a really important role right like that external um view on the accounting of companies is, is really important and that's a big role that, that the big four play but they also have advisory businesses as well um now they're not allowed to audit and advise a company so if if they win an audit then they have to resign all of their advisory uh projects mm-hmm there's a period of kind of cleaning house. I can't remember the exact term that they use, but basically there's a, it's like a cooling down of the relationship that happens over a period of, you know, three months, six months, something like that. When an audit client is one. Um, um, but they, but the advisory businesses are, you know, they're, they're, they're huge as well. Um, and, uh, you know, there's actually been a whole tussle back and forth in, uh, well, I say the U S but really it was a global, tussle back and forth ey recently which is quite high profile and quite embarrassing actually for the leadership um where there was a discussion about um separating the audit and the advisory businesses into separate entities uh and it basically got completely derailed by uh, i think it was the person who ran runs the north american business basically came out and said that they didn't want it to happen and it was going completely against the communication coming from the global leadership based in New York and it didn't make them look very good. Right. Alongside a whole bunch of other things, we have not made these companies look very good recently. Right. Including, you know, signing off accounts for companies that then turned out to be fraudulent and then the company's going under and, you know, that's happened a couple of times to EY in, in Germany recently, you know, so there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on around, around these businesses that is, is causing them some headaches recently. So tell me, uh, these you were in this industry, you're doing strategy consulting, you're doing change management consulting. Tell me what happened that you woke up, you're an insider, and you started to feel a little bit unsettled about what you were seeing. Well, that if I'm honest, it kind of happened later. So I, I, I got into a bit my position in the big four so as, as a director at ey i pretty much um i would say that that i kind of got there by mistake is the way i think about it yeah because i wouldn't never have passed first of all i never would have applied to uh, their grad scheme leaving university it was not on my radar right i had no 
idea or thought that I was going to go and join a big global management consulting business. Like it really was not me, you mm-hmm. know, like I'm not, not that kind of person. I'm not, I don't particularly do well in, in large corporates. I'm terrible at playing political games, which uh, uh, is essentially most of what these people spend their time doing is like internal positioning and, you know, playing these games in order to progress themselves through the organization. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I don't have any time for that stuff and I'm, I'm really bad at it. <laughs> I'm too, mm-hmm. I, I, I have a tendency to say what I think and mm-hmm. and that doesn't go down too well in organizations like that. So I, I was never a comfortable fit. Yeah. I'd always, I, I was, I was enjoying myself in this boutique consultancy. Um, and the work we were doing was very, very, interesting and uh of the zeitgeist and increasingly valuable and increasingly in that sort of sweet spot area where it was urgent and important and the ceos were focusing on it and there was a lot of investment going into it so the big firms knew that they were kind of flat-footed on this front and and actually culturally you know culturally and in terms of their capability and their own processes and their own ways of working and their people they're also very old-fashioned yeah so they needed to quickly kind of plug in some digital new thinking new culture to make themselves kind of look cool and up to speed with things but you know, when you got in there, it was it, it, it was going to take quite a bit more than, you know, a, dropping, a, you know, a, a few tens of millions on these acquisitions to kind of fix that as an issue. Right. And, and um, you know, but but anyway, I did. I ended up in there and um, yeah, it, it was it was pretty interesting. You know, the first year, year and a half, I really enjoyed um, the, the type of client access that these organizations have is is on rivaled really i mean you know and actually ey is quite high up on the pecking order i wasn't in a mckinsey or a bain or a bcg for example right who where basically your rolodex as, a, as someone who works there you could you can tap into an alumni network that's you know everywhere in every boardroom on earth basically mm-hmm. Um, and that was true to a certain extent with EY, you know, like you would look at basically any company in the FTSE 100, the FTSE 250, major international brands, um, the Fortune 500 in the US, and there'd be someone sitting around the boardroom table who was part of the network, you know, and 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 that, that was fantastic. As someone who'd spent his career trying to get into boardrooms, to be able to just go into the boardroom was, was quite the thing. You know, so we did, we, we, we got some great access and we did some fantastic work and I got a lot of visibility across the global firm as well, because we were kind of a niche, exciting thing that they all wanted to understand and to draw us into their work for how they were pitching and how they were delivering and, you know, actually like right down into the fundamentals of, of how EY itself was doing a lot of what it was doing for clients. So that was really interesting. Um, but then after about a year, a year and a half, the 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 kind of big the big company culture and way of doing things really started to bite and things, you know, we were less the shiny new toy and more and just another part of the machinery, basically. And decided that I wanted to go out back into the kind of boutique world again and into a smaller firm and doing more kind of um fleet of foot 
engagements with people, you know. Um, and also um, working in a way that I think was much more effective because I think one of the things that I was seeing, and this is true across the piece, right, is that there are enormous conflicts of interest between what's actually good for the clients versus what partners are incentivized to do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one example, you know, just, just a kind of generic example around it, right, would be that uh, it, it's much better for a partner to sell a 50 million pound or dollar program of work that ends up failing, but they still get the 50 million in fees and their bonus and all of that kind of thing. There's a much greater incentive for them to do that then there is to to do something for half a million that would actually mm -hmm. deliver real value and, and and work right and there's and that's mm -hmm. a that's a constant issue particularly in these big consulting firms that actually although they are nominally there to serve the client's interest in reality the incentives are focused on making as much money for themselves as they can and keeping the machine running right because these are big global beasts these things you know they've got these just in london you go down and look at the offices that they're in they're, they're they're like cathedrals to capitalism these places you know the ey office on the thames right next to the mayor's office and and over the river from from, from the tower of london it's a gleaming palace of glass and 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 light and you know it's a f phenomenal building unbelievably expensive to rent and full of lots of very highly paid people and you've got to keep that thing moving you've got to keep it running you've got to keep on chucking work into the front end of it and producing outputs at the back end of it and um you know whatever you need to do to make that happen is what you'll do to make that that happen and if you aren't making that happen you ain't going to be a partner for very long yeah, that's that's the way it is. So you were working on a contract. It sounded like with the NHS, and you you had some very disturbing, um, I guess, uh, how would I say, not engagement, but uh, the the process of what you were implementing with the NHS. You had some ethical issues. Is that right? Was that one of the is projects this... that kind of tipped you? <clears throat> no, this was after that actually. So um, the 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 likes of the big four wouldn't have got anywhere near that it was too it was too high profile i mean what i described i mean you're talking about genomics england right so yeah. this is the program that i talked to james dellingpole about and uh it's a it's an interesting one that i i came across that much later i'd already been doing a lot of work around the health system uh both private and and public sector healthcare in the uk um, and I was introduced to that organization and the chief executive and a bunch of other people in the leadership team via a contract that I was doing with a tiny, tiny, very specialist little consulting firm that solely is focused on ethical issues relating to the introduction of artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and um, the development of these kind of big data platforms in healthcare and, and every other part of the system, right? Because this is going on all over the place. And um, what I saw there was uh, kind of jaw-dropping, actually, um, because this 
genomics, this wave of genomics, which is basically being positioned as this huge new growth industry and, you know, a place where, you know, they, obviously it's, it's talked about in the terms of, of patient health, but in reality, it's a, it's a new market that they're building currently. They're going to try and build it and expand it out to be all encompassing, right? They want this to be a, a completely global integrated interoperable data platform with you know ultimately the ambition will be to have every single man woman and child alive on this database right that's what they're trying to build um and uh they talk about it in terms of improving the nation's health and all this kind of stuff but in reality it's, it's a lot more sinister than that and and mm. you know we we were um uh I, and actually the people that i was talking to so the chief executive a guy called chris wigley he's a former partner at mckinsey so he was part of an organization called quantum black who are um a data analytics and artificial intelligence machine learning specialist that i believe was acquired by mckinsey uh and then um chris wigley went from quantum black to genomics england there's a bunch of other people around him who are former mckinsey people um and uh i was yeah i was i was kind of thrust into that basically you know it, 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 again like like with the uh like with the um when i was acquired by ey we weren't really supposed to be there you know like is we they bought us for a bunch of capabilities, but I hadn't gone up through their hierarchy. I hadn't gone through, you know, all the the training and the initiation processes and all that stuff that they do as you progress from a consultant to a senior consultant to a manager to a senior manager and like on the on your way up into becoming a partner and then all the different levels above that of partnership, right? Mm -hmm. Like I hadn't done that. Um, and similarly, I, I was kind of lucky to be thrust into this situation where, where just by virtue of a, you know, time, place, interest, background, and who knows what it was, where um, I was having these conversations to talk about this tech technology program. And I just kind of, I just put two and two together, really, because this was 2021. I'd already seen what had been going on with the lockdowns and the vaccination program that was being promoted. And I heard the way that the people at Genomics England were talking about all that stuff, right? Which was essentially anyone who's against this is a, is a nutter and, you know, towing the official line on it all, right? Which is, you know, what these people do It's what all of these organizations do. They're basically there to enforce the status quo. Um, and people who ask too many questions or who, who have too many creative thoughts about doing things differently, get hard ejected out of the organizations right because that's well, not what's required well that that whole process i'd almost call it a grooming process tell me what you know i've i know people in the industry and i've heard their stories but from the inside they're very very exact in the way that they select people and that the way they keep people move them up or move them out tell me what you know about that process yeah, so the the well, I mean, the selection process is, I mean, differs firm to firm, right? I mean, but in in somewhere like McKinsey, it will be incredibly exacting, and um, you know, it's it's a bit like uh, I think someone described it to me. Um, it's a bit like the Goldman Sachs interview process where basically you have to speak to like 10 15 different people and and any one of them at any point 
can reject you from the process like it's incredibly exacting and you really have to fit yeah so they need you you need to pass muster you need to smell right you need to say the, say the right things your 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 whole demeanor your tone as well as your intellectual firepower like everything needs to needs to fit in with with the firm basically um so you know it is it, it is very exacting um you know the other end of the scale like the you know like the a lot of these organizations they are you know the, the the vast majority of the work's done by young pe younger people right so you know the grunt work is done the actual work is um well they have this model which is find mind and grind right that's the kind of way of talking about it so the finding of the projects that's done by the partners they're the rainmakers they're the people who actually go out and they shape the program they they cut the deal they sign the contract they get the client on board it's then minded the delivery is then minded by someone at a director or a senior manager level right and they're actually responsible for execution of the contract and the profitability of the work and the final output and all that kind of stuff which will have a partner signature on it but ultimately the work's being done by the people who are minding it and then the grind that's done by the lower orders right so that's the kind of senior consultant consultant level people who are generally quite a bit younger yeah so you know they and they were and they're recruiting them from university um and that is a very established process you know they bring bring people in they'll go to the the the, the good unis around the uk and it's all the same is true in the us and they'll try and find people who are coming off the right kind of courses and who look right smell right you know all that kind of stuff that mm -hmm. i just said and they'll bring them in um and then it is quite it is the pro then your progression through the hierarchy is is quite exacting and they absolutely do have a um you know move up or move out type model um the but the the big firms in particular so the big four i know are actually having real problems hiring people um at the minute at that more junior level uh because it's it is a grind right you know i, I talked about my, find mind and grind like the grind bit it really is a grind you know, like a, a lot of that work is, um, you know, I, I found it quite soul destroying, actually. And, and, and a lot of it's very, very detail focused and analytical and dry. And, um, you know, the expectation is that you will put in huge amounts of your time and, you, and your life, you know, you'll cancel trips away with family if the client decides they want to have a meeting on a Monday rather than a Wednesday, you know, so you've got to be working all weekend and you hear that that kind of thing happening all the time, right? It's all encompassing. And um, a lot of people don't want to do that, you know, mm -hmm. um, and they're, you know, they're, they're not particularly entrepreneurial. They're, they've got huge cultural issues, huge operational issues a lot of them are really old-fashioned still you know mm -hmm. so it's quite entertaining to hear people go out and talk about innovation and digitization and platforms and all these kind of fancy buzzwords out in the market when you know having worked there that their internal systems and their processes are straight out of the 1990s right and um the and they end up exporting that to their clients and um you know that's which is which is which is a challenge um for them and it's not good for the clients and a lot of the, and and the and the clients that they are set up to work with tend to be the the big established 
global corporations that are kind of dying off ultimately right and they're being replaced by more innovative fleeter of foot more digital native businesses yeah and that's that's happening all over the place um and uh you know people's people the whole culture around work is changing like the idea that people want to just stay with one firm for 40 years you know like grinding their way up through the hierarchy like i think maybe that's dying away a little bit um and uh they've got a whole bunch of challenges that they're facing not least a whole bunch of ethical issues and big big well, big questions that are now being asked right that, about, about yeah that's what we want to talk about. So it sounds a little bit like a brotherhood. It sounds as though you you join this elite group. You have to be willing to sacrifice everything, work 60, 80 hours a week. And if you don't mm-hmm. comply and if you're, if you're agreeable and you're a company man, you will move up. But if you're not agreeable or you ask too many questions or you don't um, abide by almost this culture you're shown the door yeah. or you're shown into a company that they will slot you in at a senior level is that am i understanding that so that yeah i mean well so you, yeah you're kind of touching on the alumni network right so uh, people will leave the organization and they they'll be um shepherded into a useful position in a potential client or a current client organization where the firm can then reach out to you and say hey give us work or point us in the direction of where work might come from mm-hmm. or have a little word in that person over there's ear for us and tell us what great people we are and there's absolutely a lot of that stuff going on yeah and it's not just in the corporations it's also in the political system and in the charity sector as well um and uh yeah it is it's it's you know you described it as a brotherhood you know it's quite heavily male dominated but there are a lot of women up there as well you know right the way up to the top levels of the organization um and it is all encompassing yeah so actually like one of the guys that i work with a lot um when we got acquired uh he was a director at the time and then making a success of that acquisition uh not least through the work that he and i were collaborating on basically got him a partner position and one of the things that i remember very uh clearly at the time was that when he got promoted his workload went up it's like, oh wow, okay. Mm. So you were already a workaholic and working more hours a week than I care to, to imagine. And your entire social life, by the way, yeah, is dominated by networking with other partners in the firm and networking with clients. Like, I mean, literally, your existence is geared towards this. There's very little that goes on outside, if anything. Yeah. They're pretty much wedded to this. And that individual, all of a sudden, because he was based in London, he ended up running a global relationship, which was mainly driven out of New York. So what he ended up doing, having, you know, made the made made the grade, got the big the nod, the phone call, brought upstairs into the executive suite with solid gold toilets and all that kind of stuff. Probably doesn't exist. Maybe it does. I don't know. Um he's next thing you know he's working he isn't working till 9 p.m he's working till midnight every night and he's doing conference calls at 11 p.m and and i was sort of sitting there going wow that's depressing mm-hmm. uh, the idea that you know you've uh, you know that you, you've you've worked so 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 hard 
and you got into this lofty position as 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 a partner in the firm, and then it's like, well, no, you're going to be working harder now, right? And and also, this is one thing that he mentioned to me, which is that he didn't realize until he got into the partnership, is that although there are you know six layers or something like from the bottom rung to the partner rung, you'll become a partner. And then it's revealed to you that, oh, look, there's another 20 layers above you. So you thought that you'd made it, but actually, no, you haven't made it. And mm-hmm. there's always someone who sits above you who can tell you what to do, even when you get into the lofty position of a partner, right? So it's, yeah. it's, 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 um, it's, 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 it's a base, it's a pyramid scheme, you know, like a lot of these things are, you know, and the people at the top are doing just great. Thank you very much. Um, and they, they kind of, show the lower order people like you know well you could be like this one day but obviously you know like that that not everyone can yeah so there will be a bunch of you who don't make it which is what life is like ultimately yeah but um it was uh yeah it was an interesting setup so really i think we've talked a lot about the psychology of how these people are working within uh what's the psychology of the organization and I think why I want to talk about that is that I have a sense that they have a key role in this COVID uh, agenda. The really yeah. the, the bigger plan over the last three years, my sense is, and maybe you can correct me, have they been instrumental in executing the COVID pandemic agenda? Yes. In, in a word, yes, definitely. And and you know and you all you need to do really is to understand that um, that all of these organisations are strategic partners of the World Economic Forum, yeah. So straight off the bat, they every single one of the ones that we've mentioned is a strategic partner of the World Economic Forum, and there's only a hundred of those, right? So, so here, so got... here we are. They've got major representation in an elite group of a hundred companies that the World yeah. Economic Forum cites as the one hundred strategic partners, and yeah. half a dozen of them are these consulting firms. What what do, uh, what does that mean to you? What does that yeah? What what does that signify? Well, it doesn't. What does it signify? Well, it signifies that they are, well, look, you just said are they part of the agenda and it, 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 that means that they are, yeah, because mm-hmm. the agenda mm-hmm. is being promoted at not, not not in no small part by the World Economic Forum and its partners. You know, it's not the only place that this is coming from. It's a, quite a complicated web of organisations up there. Mm-hmm. But the World Economic Forum, run by Klaus Schwab, um, populated with... You know the the great and the supposedly good of the world of politics and corporations and finance and whatever it might be, who have been promoting the Great Reset, which was launched by Prince Charles as he was then. Um, you know, alongside Klaus Schwab in November 2020, that whole agenda, that that um, centralization of power and control into an ever smaller group of um, international so-called elites. Um, these these organisations are uh, they're helping to to steer the ship and and to and to move the ship forward and and to do the bidding of of of, of that group basically and they're and you know they at an operational level but also as I understand it as a, as a strategic partner they're also helping to fund it as well 
you know so this is partner money from each of these advisory firms as well as a bunch of others that we haven't talked about yet but we, we will get on to because there's mm-hmm. you know there, 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 are, there are a bunch of organizations in there who are doing very similar stuff mm-hmm. and and um you know the and which okay right which which in itself is interesting right and it's actually it's more than half a dozen right because we've already talked about seven firms so mckinsey bain bcg ey deloitte kpmg and pwc they're all on there so that's more than half a dozen already mm-hmm. um but then you've also got the likes of accenture who are formerly anderson consulting arthur anderson which went down because of enron um, you've got IBM in there, I believe, Infosys, Tata Consulting Services, TCS, um, who are also advisory organizations. And I think it's it's interesting that they're in there for a few reasons. What One of them is that um, what that does for the World Economic Forum is it actually allows them in a smaller group, so a more discrete group of companies, yeah, these these international consulting firms, these international technology firms, they actually cut across an enormous proportion of global economic activity because of the clients that they work with. So actually, it's a really efficient way for a Klaus Schwab type individual or a World Economic Forum type organization to distribute its message and its dictates and its strategies and the things that it wants to happen out into the the world, into the market, into the system, because these organizations work with everybody. You know, so McKinsey famously talks about working with 90 out of 100 of the world's most valuable companies. Well, actually, the truth, the same is pretty much true for all of those firms. Yeah. You know, so EY will touch on, uh, you know, 80%, probably in some capacity, 80%, 90% of the FTSE 100. You know, the ones that they don't audit because they'll be auditing at least a quarter of them because there are four auditors that are allowed to operate at that level, right? So the, you've already got 25% of the of the FTSE, for example, signed up with one of those firms. If you've got all of those firms, which they do, then you've already got the whole FTSE 100 signed up, you know, in some capacity or adjacent to your agenda. And that's before you get into the advisory relationships. So it's it's very interesting, and it is uh, you can understand why they've done it. Um, I I think it's important to state outright here, by the way, that by no absolutely no means whatsoever am I suggesting, or should it be suggested, that all of the employees in these companies are somehow involved like knowingly and and willingly in a criminal conspiracy right like i don't think that for a second but what i do know having sat inside those companies and to a certain extent myself having held these views and being a good you know at the time like a sort of free market neoliberal type person who is very pro pro capitalism and um and very pro uh big business and was enjoying working in that environment and was excited about it and the glamour of it and the um the potential of it that um people inside those organizations 
politicians, they look at Davos and they look at the World Economic Forum and they look at the people who attend those events and are part of those organisations, they kind of see them as rock stars. You know, they look up to them. They're inspired by them. They, um, they, 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 they're keenly waiting to hear back what the news from Davos is in January and what everyone's talking about. And, you know, that's kind of where they get their direction from. Yeah. So the, the big firms being formally involved in that is, you know, it's no surprise really. And you can see how it permeates down into those organizations, right? They've done a very good job of propagandizing everybody for the past 50 plus years, whatever. So it it, essentially their selection process of who's on, who's within these major consulting firms and who gets to stay is an individual who will execute the plan and not look too closely at the ethics or integrity because they're company men. Is that right? Or what? what is it that these people will not deviate from the plan, even if the plan is not good for humanity? Why is it that these individuals will continue to, to uh, they're almost like soldiers, march ahead yeah. with something which is destroying mankind? Or, or am yeah. I am I framing this correctly? Or it's it's well, a peculiar well, a whole, thing. That you, it was a very peculiar thing. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 actually, that's not exclusive to to what's been going on in the big firms. That's that's been happening absolutely mm-hmm. everywhere across the whole population, right? I mean, there's a bunch of people who are very unquestioningly gone along with things which are in. I mean, at the time. A bunch of us were knew were inexcusable, but now in hindsight, I mean, if you just go and look at some of the, you know, compilations of news clips from the BBC in like 2020, mm-hmm. and you just look at it now, and anyone will look at it and go, "Yeah, that was kind of crazy, wasn't it?" And mm-hmm. in hindsight, it looks insane what they're saying and the way that everyone's behaving. And I think everyone kind of knows that now. I mean, I think part of it is that the pe- people were very trusting. Um, as you were kind of touching on the, the the people that do well inside these organizations and this is true for the consulting firms but it's true for the corporations as well right they're, they're not the ones that it's it, people that rock the boat don't fit in there mm. yeah so it, the, the people who do well and progress are the ones that um, keep their head down they do the work even when it's in like the the way that it's being done doesn't make any sense yeah like don't question it just get on and everything will be fine and you'll and you'll progress and um that's how those organizations have have have, 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 have operated for a long time so people that look at things um in a, in a different way or question things too closely they're, they're just not in the room basically the, the conversation is not being had and and they're set up to to maintain the status quo. So particularly the audit firms, I mean, it's literally what they do. They go in and they quantify what exists and make sure that it is as robust as it's being presented. So you know, creative thought doesn't really enter the, enter the equation there. You know, just because of the nature of the work, um, and also because and this is a really important thing that I think that people should understand is that the components of what we're talking about are so vast like the 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 web of things that has been or that they've attempted to implement is so vast you know it touches on the health system the media 
um the the banking system with this cbdc thing that they're trying to bring in which is the next thing that the big firms which we should talk about right because there's there's a bunch of activity happening around central bank digital currencies that these organizations are, are working on that again is helping government to to perpetuate and to implement things that should not be implemented um all of this stuff like if you look at these things in isolation is like a they're individual subcomponents of the plan Mm-hmm. they're maybe not as sinister as they might be you know and and they fit neatly into a narrative which has been handed down to us for the past well in reality it's 50 years right 50 plus years because the world economic forum has been around since 1971 the young global leaders program well actually it was called the global leaders of tomorrow program originally glt that was initiated in 1993 and then that turned into the young global leaders program around 2004 2005 it's basically the same thing so we've had 30 years at least of narrative building in the media in the political system all of the major parties you know like 80 percent of our main political leaders in the uk they're all you know like blair brown cameron johnson um yeah they're yeah uh, um you know like they 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 are um graduates of that program right so that mm-hmm. that narrative has been embedded and we've all been working within it and have been part of it for i mean basically as long as i've been in the workforce mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know she's knocking on a couple of decades now and been probably longer than that beforehand yeah so you know they've done a very good job of creating the story and then that story ultimately is the thing that ends up being constructed so and, it's, they're, they're um, probably then they're probably all reading the autonomous which is owned by the rothschilds so that's like their textbook on um the blueprint on how the world should be run but in actuality that is uh yeah that's a very top down um recipe right yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, the, so the Economist is an interesting one, right? Um, because I was an avid Economist reader for years, and mm-hmm. and it's just, I think one of the things that the English, in particular, uh, the the Brits are going to have to come to terms with sooner rather than later, is that um, these media institutions that we have, particularly people like the Economist and the BBC that are presented as the fair and balanced level-headed you know internationalist um uh, 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 uh titles of choice right you know mm-hmm. like the ones that you can go to that they kind of they cut through the the, the noise and the hullabaloo and they get to the real the, the root of the issue and they, they have a fair and balanced perspective of both sides and all that kind of thing right that's actually total nonsense they're they're the worst propaganda outlets globally actually the bbc mm-hmm. um and the economists you know you were talking about a minute ago the 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 involved with the rothschilds i also believe that the um so it, it was it was linda it was linda rothschild i think was was the um uh, the uh, the proprietor of the economist and i think they also have investment from the agnelli family which is the italian industrialists behind fiat and now ferrari i think as well and a bunch of other um, automotive brands 
um businesses um they they've got there in there as well and and they are part of the globalist control apparatus basically so if you look at um the bilderberg meetings uh the one that happened last year they're actually due in another one in in, in a month or so so i'm interested to see who's going to be attending that because they do publish the attendee list in the agenda um at the at the bilderberg meeting last year uh, one of the people attending was Zanny Minton Beddoes, who is the executive editor of The Economist, hmm. right? Uh, as well as someone else who's their defence editor, I think it was, as well as a couple of senior people from the Financial Times. And actually, there was a really interesting interview with Richard Haas, who's the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, which I put up on my Substack last week, which I came across. She's like was fascinating which was him talking to the press corps basically like the the local um network uh reporters and anchors in the u.s like the people who do like you know the news in in um salt lake city on a wednesday night that kind of person mm -hmm. right like and he was talking to them and they were asking, you know, where's a good place for us to get information from? And obviously he said the Council on Foreign Relations because he is one of the biggest propagandists alive, maybe that's ever lived. Yeah, Richard has. Um, and um, the the two titles that he particularly called out as being ones that you should go to for as good, reliable news sources, as well as NPR. He did talk about NPR, but they, they were The Economist and the FT. And I used to read those two and think that I was like a you know real smart guy. I I, I did I, the same. Know. I did the same in my MBA. It was required reading. So for two years yeah. I was reading it, and then I was hooked. Um, but uh, now I reflect back and I think there was a, an absolute agenda to that publication in terms of globalism. They never ever would talk about nationalism, and. Uh, I look back and I think, wow, I was indoctrinated for over 30 years reading that feeling, oh, aren't, you know, it seemed rather clever, uh, cleverly written, and I always enjoyed it. But I look back now and I think, no, what a waste of time. It's, it's yeah, well, I it's mean, it's propaganda. So that, my, my whole world, absolutely, it is. Yeah, my, my whole worldview for a long time I was very, I was avid FT reader. I, I, you know, I, I was quite snooty about it. So I, well, I, you know, everyone else is really reading the guardian all the times so like no i read the ft and and um and I, I thought that said something about me right like the um and maybe it did and maybe it wasn't what i thought it said about me um because ultimately they are it's the voice of the davos man yeah it's it's yeah. the 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 acceptable um respectable uh urbane metropolitan knowing well-heeled uh liberal globalist elite that's the whole shtick basically like that's what that's what the ft is and also by the way i've worked with them mm -hmm. so i've known them up close and i know people still today who are in senior positions at the financial times as well as a whole bunch of other media organizations as well including cnn including the atlantic magazine including you know a bunch of other places right so you know i'm, I'm very close up to this it's such a, a web and, and such a network um tell yeah, me yeah. in your best guess what is the process of the agenda where do you think it's coming from and how does that play out with government and these consulting firms what what's the 
what's your best guesstimate as to what this process looks like? Uh, well, I mean, so, so there's a bunch of rich people, basically a bunch of rich men sitting around in the, I mean, this has been going on for centuries, right? I mean, so it's, it, it, actually pointing to a specific event that uh, ties all this together, I, I think that, well, maybe there was one, maybe maybe it will be impossible for us to ever piece that together. Um, but you can certainly look to the work of people like David Rockefeller, for example, in the 60s, um you know when he when he uh set up the trilateral commission um as as being pivotal in the implementation of this this global plan um and uh they've just taken everyone along for the ride with them basically you know it, it's uh uh it's it's become this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy right and it's really interesting you know we talk about it's it's the story yeah they keep on talking they've got they've got a story that they're telling um you know and the latest iteration of it although you you're not hearing this term quite so much anymore right but this whole build back better thing mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. that they were that they were talking about in 2020 and 21 but it's now become so sus it's like well are you saying that are you well that obviously means that you're promoting this agenda because mm -hmm. that's come directly from klaus schwab and it's being you know repeated by the tony blairs of this world and boris johnson and joe biden and you know whoever else it might be they were all saying it right so that comes from the top council whatever that is um and it's then disseminated down through their networks and ultimately that becomes what we talk about and the reality that we create right that's that mm -hmm. that's what that messaging does like it kind of sets the direction um and that will come you know ultimately from you know i think that uh, really this boils down to money yeah like that's how the world is run makes the world go round, as they say, you know, and, um, you know, the people that control that are, uh, you know, it's the Black Rocks, it's the Carlisle groups, it's uh, the Bank of International Settlements, it's um, these huge behemoth investment funds and global banking entities that the vast, 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 vast majority of humanity have absolutely no understanding of, like they can't see it. You know, it's yeah. it's in the stratosphere above everything else. Right? And we get distracted by or everything. You know, modern life is a distraction. Yeah. So the crap that we consume on our phones or the latest drama on the TV screen or this thing on Netflix that doesn't have quite the right representation of different racial profiles, you know, whatever else thing that is causing a kerfuffle in the population or, you know, their favorite sport team or the, you know, who Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be dating this week, which is something mm -hmm. that was popping up yesterday. It's like, you know, that's what people see in front of them. Oh, and they get given a little bit of a glimpse of a sort of punch and Judy show of left, right politics. And, you know, these buffoons in Westminster shouting at each other on a Wednesday lunchtime. And, you know, we kind of get presented that that's somehow, a choice that is going to change the direction of things. You know, if the red team or the blue team are in control, then that will fundamentally change the direction of travel of the nation. It's like, no, no, it won't. It's just, it's just a distraction.
Yeah, same's true in the US. So, so I, I'm, but I'm curious to know. Okay, so the elite, they definitely have an agenda. I think we we can ascertain what that is. But mm-hmm. how do they execute the plan? Do they sit down with these uh, government officials, or do they first sit down with these uh, uh, consultancy, the heads of the consultancy firms, and say, "This is what we want to achieve. How can you make it happen?" So what what do you think the line of command is? Who do you I mean, think the Rockefellers, the Rothschild, who who do you think they sit and have lunch with and say, listen, I want to get from A to B. How can we make that happen? Who do they first have that conversation with? Is it the consultancy firms that then work with the governments and the Fortune 500 firms? Or what is the what do you think is think- the process? I'd think they'd. I'd say they're probably pretty high up in the pecking order. I mean, just just to go back to the strategic partnership list that we were talking about on the World Economic Forum website, right? Like you've got all of the big advisory firms in there. You've got a bunch of the big technology companies like Accenture, for example. And actually, Julie Sweet, who's the global CEO of Accenture, is on the board of trustees for the World Economic Forum. So she will definitely be on the list of people that they speak mm-hmm. to first. And Accenture is huge. They're 660 something thousand people right absolutely enormous organization and um you know they are across absolutely everything um the whole the whole economic system you know they've got their tentacles everywhere um but also the big tech companies they're a big part of it mm-hmm. you know if you look at um china for example with their social credit system and and these digital control systems that they're trying to implement in the west a model on the ones that are being used in China and have been used and perfected by the CCP over the past five years plus, you know, so I think it was 2016, 2017 when they implemented the latest digital iteration of their social credit system. And that is run on behalf of the CCP by the big tech companies in China. So it's Tencent and it's Alibaba and it's one or two other, the big tech firms, they run the social credit system for the state. Yeah. And that integration of state and corporate interest, that is the literal technical definition of fascism. This is one of the things I was talking to Dellingpole about, right? Mm -hmm. Which ultimately all of this is when you dig into it. Yeah. And I will say that again. Yeah. I, I, I believe Actually, it's not just that I believe it. I think that it's it's unequivocally true, right, to anyone who understands what fascism is, that having these advisory firms um, uh, doing this work for the World Economic Forum and the way that they're collaborating with with governments who are essentially pushing the same agenda, you know, again, just to, 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 to use the example of the UK where you've got, you know, five, four or five of the last seven prime ministers something like that they're, they're they are young global leader um graduates well, what is that that's this is fascism you know you've got you've got um the 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 political and the commercial and the consulting elite and the media and the healthcare elites the top people all marching in lockstep yeah like they're they're all they're all doing what they're told to do what they've signed up for uh and um yeah as we were saying before like one of the ways that that information and those principles are then disseminated out is through the advisory firms and a lot of what they're doing particularly look at these digital control 
control systems they're being built to specifications handed down from places like the world health organization right and the who released its own technical specification for a global identification system uh in i believe it was the end of 2020 right and and these organizations so like the extension and the, the people actually building the technologies people building those platforms will be using those specifications they'll be advising their clients to introduce those specifications into technologies that they're building because they'll tell them that well you've got to be you know in order to be um uh, market ready to be a you know um able to stand up and operate in the emergent technology landscape that is coming out of this scenario uh you're going to have to have this stuff in there and you're going to have to make this a consideration and, and a requirement for for the for what you're building and that will just be presented as an as an, an inevitability essentially right and that and, and that's what that's what's been going on and that's that's how we've you know in large part how we've ended up going in this direction so it's yeah, all you, it's you very look... co it's very coordinated then and i think often people say well how could all these companies be coordinated and moving in this very sinister direction but this actually yeah. explains how the coordination actually is achieved yeah absolutely I, th I think that I, I think you've hit on something really interesting, yeah, which is that basically these these advisory firms are part of the distribution of that information. and and actually that's how the, they've all that's how they've always operated. and it's one of the one of the you know the strengths and the weaknesses ultimately of this model, right, which is that um you know they will go to a company and say, look, um and by the way, one of the, one of the things that the the big consultancies are very the, the the management consultancies are very good at, which the creative agencies are less good at, is is client confidentiality. They do not talk about who they've done the work with, but they will tell you exactly what it was that they did. Mm. So you won't know. As you know, let's just carry on with the uh, the media example right you won't know as the telegraph newspaper in london that the information that you're being told about relates to the wall street journal yeah they won't tell you that but they will tell you a lot about what they learned from working with the wall street journal and a lot of the time they will come along and they'll say well, we've done this elsewhere. You see this a lot in banking in particular. Well, we've done this elsewhere for this other company that looks just like you, so we'll do the same thing for you, and that will be good for you because it's like you know best practice in the market, the kind of way that they talk about this stuff. So, so actually, they give it so with, with a lot of... so they're they're giving the impression to all their clients that this is the wave or this is the the trends of the future. And get on board because all yeah. your competition is doing this and you don't want yep. to be left behind. And But the direction that they're pushing the companies is very um, intentional. It, it's, 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 it's very, yeah. um, how would I say, it, it, there, there is, a, there is a, a, a plan and they are, in essence, pushing all their clients in the same direction. And no one, no yeah. one is pausing within those companies to say, is this the right thing? Is this ethical? Is this good for for society at large? 
because the type of people that work within the organization are groomed not to ask questions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, that's part of it. And then also because you're talking about corporate entities. Yeah, and this is really important to understand this, that corporations are um, legally required to maximize shareholder value um, and um, to... Uh, to 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 do things as you know as an extension of that that in, increase market share and increase profits for themselves, mm-hmm. right? So they don't they're not really thinking. You know they'll talk about you know this idea of stakeholder capitalism, which is a Klaus Schwab term, right? Which is absolute garbage. Um, but they'll talk about um, you know being focused on on customer needs and all that kind of thing, right? But if you look at you know just one example, say in the in the banking system. Like the, the 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 banks are closing down branches, physical branches, hand over fist. Like they're just disappearing from high streets. Yeah. Even though people like going into the branch, particularly older people, like they don't want to bank with you on their phone. They want to go into the branch and they like cash, right? Well, they're they're going to get rid of all of that. They don't care that the customer doesn't want it, or they don't care that you know the CBDC model that they're talking about bringing in is massively open to abuse by government for example mm-hmm. um what they care about is is efficiency and if they can fire a load of people and sell a load of um physical estate that they don't need anymore and make money off that then they'll just like rat like rats up drain pipes yeah they're they're they're, they're, they're not even thinking about it like, it's just a it's a bottom line issue and that's what will be driving the decision most of the time Mm-hmm. so yeah things like ethics not really coming into play at all i would say so um, interesting and it, it, and you asked about you asked about uh the uh, you know the how whether the consulting firms are part of it, helping implement the agenda and you know we talked about how they can do it in a roundabout way well actually they've been doing it in a very direct way as well so if you look at um an example that uh came out of canada uh, over the past, I can't remember the exact date that this happened. I think that it, that we, it was revealed in the last sort of six to twelve months. But basically, McKinsey was effectively running the whole COVID response for uh, the government of Quebec. Yes, yes, I heard that. At, and I, I thought, yeah, just a minute, specific- why is McKinsey as a consultancy? Running the show for COVID, the COVID response of lockdown, et cetera, in Quebec, when we have elected officials, how in the world does McKinsey end up at the helm of that whole uh, response? This is, but, but as you explain, it sounds to me like McKinsey has very close ties to Canadian government. So they've been hired. Story about that. Um, we're back and we're talking about Quebec and McKinsey's yeah. role in the COVID response in the province of Quebec in Canada. So tell me yeah. what you know about this. Yeah, we were we were about to start talking about this and, and then the, the powers intervened from above and shut us down. Yes. Yes. Um so what do I know about this? I know that um it 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 was revealed that McKinsey played a very important role in the entire COVID response, right? So um, acquiring PPE, 
training personnel, um, actually hiring a bunch of people on behalf of the government, um, outlining the whole communication strategy for like how we were going to disseminate information about what was happening with the lockdown and what was happening with the virus and then help develop the vaccination campaign. And apparently at points they were even um, writing communication on formal government headed paper, right? So they're actually acting as if they were the state. Um, and uh, this is... Um, I don't know if is it inappropriate feels inappropriate to me particularly given what we know about everything that i've just described right i mean it would be bad enough if they were doing that on behalf of the state anyway but then when you when you when you roll in the understanding that actually the entire covid response was essentially a scam and part of a plan to implement global totalitarianism on behalf of the world economic forum to whom mckinsey are a strategic partner then the whole thing begins to look extraordinarily bad right and 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 um i don't really understand so i i found this out um because i've been in and out of the consulting world for the past few years like i've been working in music and doing various other things so i've not quite had my finger on the pulse in the same way that I did when I was actually a director in the firm. And, you know, I was much more engaged in what was going on in the industry day to day. So when this came out, I was like, wow, that's, that's wild. And then you look at that in the context of, um, the, uh, the other things that McKinsey have done over the past few years that we know about. Yeah. So the, I don't know if you're familiar with the Purdue pharmaceutical case where, McKinsey helped create the um, the oxycotton crisis, like the opioid epidemic, yeah, which is killing thousands upon thousands of, of of Americans every year. Right, it's like one of the biggest killers now is 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 overdosing on on these um, synthetic opioids. Mm-hmm. Right, like that's it. It it's huge, right? and 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 you know the 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 human damage of that has been huge. Obviously, people are dying, but also like the addiction and the the damage that it causes to people's lives and to their relatives and all that kind of stuff. And uh, McKinsey was actively helping to grow that market for Purdue, um, and operating like a drug cartel basically i mean that's what the cartels do like they get people addicted they they try to maximize the amount of you know cocaine that's being sold and consumed in in in, in the market that they're operating in and that's what mckinsey were doing here exactly the same thing and then you look at and then you also think well you know as, as i was reading brushing up on what happened with enron um, earlier on today they were actually involved with enron and it, the enron scandal took down Arthur Anderson, who were the auditors, but McKinsey were in the boardroom as well, advising on a whole load of those things that they were doing. And actually, Jeff Stelling, as I understand, it was a he was the CEO, was a McKinsey partner before he took on that job. It's like, well, hang on a minute. If 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 that if that if Enron can take down Arthur Anderson, why didn't it take down McKinsey? And then why at what point does 
the 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 firm become untouchable you know like what, what do they need to do what do what does the market what do we as individuals need to see mckinsey doing in order to realize that it probably shouldn't exist anymore you know what are the ethical guardrails here or aren't there any because it would appear mm-hmm. that there aren't right and 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 you know as much as we talk about you know mckinsey being an elite firm and all that kind of stuff yeah which it is you've got very smart people working there but you have to question their morals what are you standing out in front of? And yeah, I know that you may not have personally been involved with this, McKinsey Partners. And, you know, my friend who got in touch with me on the back of the Dellingpod interview to say that he basically agreed with everything that I had that I'd said, which was quite eye-opening, actually. I was surprised to hear that. Um, I, I was surprised that he reached out to me, actually. I hadn't spoken to him in a good number of years, but he's in you know, a, a pretty senior level there. He said, "No, I think you know, you pretty much bang on, bang on with what you were saying." I was like, "Okay, well, are you going to resign? You know, like what? what when does this mm-hmm. like you? you okay, you sort of you you're giving me words of encouragement about what I've done, but you're still on the payroll at the firm, and the firm has done a whole bunch of things. You know, I talked about one thing, but." And we just touched on a couple of other things that it's done, right? And those are just things that we know about. You know, it's 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 doing. You know, it's working on. I don't know. Like there, there are a whole bunch of things that it was doing for the Department of Homeland Security around the the immigration deportation system that people got very upset about. I think it was around 2017, 2018. We know that they're working constantly with military industrial complex. You know, like they're 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 into. Um, the the guts of everything basically you know well there um, there's and, a very fuzzy line between you know the, it's the public private partnership mm. and they are they're they're kind of straddling um both worlds but yep. we you know as you describe this do you think it sounds like a cartel that they are an elite cartel that has immunity from the law immunity for any sort of uh, responsibility or liability, yeah. they sound untouchable but extremely powerful. Yeah, I think I think it is. It looks like that. I talk about this um, uh, management via plausible deniability as the term that I've used before that, I've, that I like, that, and I've talked about it in the context of the NHS, but I think it's true everywhere else. Right? Is is the the basically a, a lot of the, the reason the consultants are there is so that if something goes wrong, then the executives can just go, oh, well, the consultants said that we should do it. Mm. So I, I, I've, my ass is covered, right? You can't blame yeah. me. We, we, McKinsey said, and we did what McKinsey said to do. But then, the, uh, the, but, but then the consultants can go, oh, well, you know, we were just engaged by the client to do this piece of work. We can't blame us for it. You know, particularly, oh, you can't blame us. You know, the government's in control of that. The ministers are in control of the decision making around these issues. You know, we're just here to provide advice impartially. You know, you can't possibly blame us. It's like, okay, well, who's actually responsible here? And it's all just mm-hmm. this sort of Mexican standoff of people pointing mm-hmm. each other. Go, it's them, it's them, it's him, it's these people. So it could, it's never me. You know, and you saw it with the the way that the you know Fauci and the CDC and the FDA were all 
sort of this sort of merry-go-round of oh well they've said this and well were they well I'm saying that because they said that and I'm saying that because they said that it's like wait mm-hmm. a minute you're just pointing at each other and mm-hmm. and that's where the plausible deniability comes in because they because they'll never actually admit to the fact that the buck stops with them yeah and that's a that's a that's a big part of it and there, and there is there there is a there is a there is a uh, a revolving door between the the consulting firms, the big corporations, and top level government positions, right? I mean, just just one example, yeah, in the UK, and I I find this boggling, mind boggling, right? That this relationship would exist, but it does. But there is a guy, and I'll, I'll tell you exactly who it is. So I used to work with him. Right? There's a guy called Matt's Person, who is a senior partner in EY in the UK, and he was seconded into number. 11 Downing Street, but that guy, this guy, Matt's person, who, as I said, I've met and I've worked with him, yeah, because he was a partner when I was a director in the firm. He did a 10 month, 11 months of comment as Rishi Sunak's chief of staff and then straight back out into EY. So he went from EY into number 11 and back straight back out into EY. And they were obviously go rubbing their hands with glee because they got all the inside information on what's going on, where the spend's happening, this, that, whatever. So, really? This is really odd. Like, I don't think that that should be happening at all. No. You know, and, you know, and I'm not sort of, I'm not vindicating that individual. Right? I mean, I've pointed him out as one example. I think that happens all over the place. Yeah, it's just that I happened to see that one specifically and I thought that that was deeply inappropriate. Yeah, but so this, I would is, say, this is widespread this is, yes. in my mind, this is criminal behavior, but yeah. these characters are above the law. And the way that they've established this network has the impression of being everything is legal, everything is above board. But it, in my mind, it's deeply corrupt, deeply criminal. It's cartel-like. How, how is this different from a cartel? Yeah, I agree with you. I think it rolls up into the same thing. Yeah. It's it's but, the same, but, but but we we uphold these characters because they're making millions or billions of dollars. I mean, I can't even imagine how big the contracts are that BCG, McKinsey, Baines, how big these contracts are, and they're they're important people. They're you know the the heads of all these big Fortune five hundred companies. So we uphold them as next to God, but in actuality. These are hardened criminals with uh, with sociopathic tendencies. Am I am I misstating this or? No, I think, it, I think it, there's something I th- very I think, wrong. I, I, th- I think you're right. I, I, you know, it's it's not universal across the firms because there are. Mm-hmm. You know, well, first of all, first of all, they're really big. Yeah, but um, but also there are some good people working in them. But mm-hmm. I think ultimately, but it's difficult to look at. The, this behavior is anything other than, than psychotic, psychopathic, and yeah. So go ahead. And, and whether it's demonstrably criminal or not, I don't know. But I mean, just just a one example. So BCG, who I talked about again on the Daily Pod, so they actually had a, a they had a senior consultant that they were charging out to the Treasury at seven and a half thousand pounds a day. Yeah, but actually, the they had a team that um, they charged out forty people for a four-month program of work at £10 million. That's an average of £3,125 per day, per person, on that one piece of work. Is that uh, is, a, is, is that Operation Moonshot? Because there was 
No, that's not it... even that's not Moonshot. So Moonshot, I would imagine. Tell, tell us about that. That's a program that was in the UK during COVID. So that was a program that came out of the, the Department of Health, and it was you know they called it Moonshot because it was a moonshot. It was just nuts, like particularly in hindsight, right? But at the time, like they 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 were like. Um, you know, excuse my French, but that like flies around shit. This stuff, yeah, like they get a sniff of a, a big contract and they're all over it. Um, and basically, someone somewhere managed to convince, and it probably wasn't that difficult to do, convince Matt Hancock, uh, or and or a bunch of people around him, that spending a hundred billion quid to test every single member of the british population every single week for covid which in hindsight we now know is a flu type virus if it may even be the flu we don't know right it's mm -hmm. very murky at the moment what actually mm -hmm. went on right but the idea that you would need to do that is insane and then to put yourself in the driving seat to run that program and it was picked up by deloitte who were um positioned to at least marshal the program and marshal the forces. I don't know if they were going to take the whole spend for themselves. Probably not, but they were in the driving seat, right? Um, that was that was that was something that was signed off, and just the just the sheer the scale of it, the 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 the, the greed, like rampant greed, like the the and and the pure hubris that you have the right to do something like that and that it's even a possible thing to do and that if you could do it it would be a reasonable thing to do and that you can charge the public purse that amount of money to do it is just unbelievable so me. they just so and they it, justify this they rationalize it, it's it's twisted because they're not capable of looking at whether something is right or wrong this is clearly wrong but how do they justify it? What, what is what is it with these people that they have no moral compass? I, well, I don't know. They might they might just they might be psychopaths, right? Or gr yeah. or greedy. They like their lifestyle yeah, of a million pounds a year. Or what is like, it that they, they, if you if you put they, it in front of these colleagues of yours and say, listen, what you're doing is destructive. This is not good for the for this generation nor the next generation you're fast tracking society towards fascism what is the response if you have a conversation with your colleagues what do they say to you how do they justify this well i mean this is we're in the realm of hypotheticals at this point because i i, so, I wasn't i wasn't in that environment when that happened right mm -hmm. i was sort of spect spectating from the outside but i can mm -hmm. imagine because i've seen other major programs set up that they weren't thinking about it at all what they saw was the number and what they were thinking about was how much of that number they could get for themselves. And actually what this comes down to a lot of the time is competitiveness between the firms. So basically what they'll be saying is, well, you know, if we don't do it, PwC are going to go for it. Yeah. Or KPMG are going to go for it. So we might as well just go in for it. And there isn't any discussion about whether it's ethical or not. And also, again, you know, just to, to sort of reiterate and go back down over the, over the, over the, one of the, the key points in all of this is that they are strategic partners of the world economic forum right so they obviously don't care and they are fully on board with the agenda and there isn't any consideration about whether it's the right thing or a wrong thing to do because they've already signed up to it so right? they've rationalized right that this is the way the future is 
and we are yeah. going to um, implement the plan. And the plan yeah. is good because it's coming from above and therefore we've adopted the plan and we're going to execute the plan. Yeah, and we'll get away with it because we've got we'll... the air cover because we can blame it on someone else because that's the way that the whole thing's been set up. And also, we've been doing this for years. I mean, if you look at um, EY, for example, the guy that was, uh, he might still be the UK chairman. I can't remember if he, he was the UK chairman while I was there. But he's now gone off into some highfalutin global role all about sustainability, right? And they're, they're, that's one of the new gravy trains that they're all trying to ride. ESG, sustainability, like they're they're all over that, right? Like the because uh, they've kind of run out of things to consult on, so they they're trying to create a new market around these these um, sustainability targets. But the guy that the 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 top boy in EY in the UK is a guy called Steve Varley, and Steve Varley made his name, made his reputation as an Accenture partner. Well, actually, he would have been an Anderson Consulting partner. Um, but he actually made partner. He's kind of a legendary guy in 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 consulting industry because he was made partner in Anderson Consulting at the age of twenty six, something or twenty seven. You know, just unheard of. Yeah, like it doesn't happen. Yeah, and partners. I mean, generally they're in their late thirties, maybe early forties, but certainly not in their early thirties, and certainly not in their mid twenties. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Right. But he built his career on setting huge government programs. And this is just another one of those. And they're all over the place. You know, so it's just another thing that's coming out of central governments, being funded by the taxpayer that these organizations have got their tentacles into. And it's, you know, it's just, just business as usual, it, really. How, and how big are these contracts? For example, Operation Moonshot in the UK to get a, a, a shot into every arm. Or not a shot into every arm. Test, testing, yeah. testing every week for everyone yeah. in the UK. How big was that contract? Well, that was, well, it was a hundred billion. A hundred billion dollars for a pound, pounds. A, pounds, pounds, and and no yeah. one ever sat back and said, "Should we be doing this?" But the the tender is out, and all these companies vie for the contract. Yeah, and one this lands is... it, and away they go. Off to the races, yeah. Off to and, the and races, on the public the, purse. On the public purse. And Deloitte were also, so, and just to give you a sense of how this stuff plays out, because it's quite, it's, it's quite combative, yeah, because they, this, is a, this is a market. They're competing for this work. So um, uh, the COVID app, which is not part of Moonshot and not part of Test and Trace, or maybe it was involved with Test and Trace. I don't know exactly where the money came from, but it's a slightly distinct thing from, from Moonshot, certainly. That was being delivered by an EY team. And I know that because I've met someone who was on that team delivering the work. And then they got booted off and Deloitte came in and picked it up. So even though they were in mid-delivery, they were, we were elbowed out of the way because of, I don't know, some special relationship that one of these Deloitte partners had or, you know, Whatever, whatever the ruse was that they did to, to to muscle in onto the program, they then came and picked it up, did a load of work on that, and then ultimately they ended up getting. I think it got taken off them completely, and ended up being delivered by a guy that I also know, who was a, a um, digital health uh, company called Babylon, who was seconded from there into central government to deliver the COVID app as a special project before he spanned back out and went back into private sector. 
Um, so it was a real, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was a gravy train. It's and it's and, a swing. It's a swinging door between government and these consultancies and yeah. big big corp. So they uh, all uh, um, yeah. circle around and uh, run the show. And yeah, and, people, and, and, the and, voter, and, the voter has no say in any of this process. Absolutely none. They don't even know what's going on. They've got no idea what's happening. You know, it's it's, no. it's completely opaque, right? And actually, that's that's um, you know. The uh, uh, the um, you know one of the things you 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 notice when you go into these organisations is that um, you know not, you can't see it. It's very unclear what they actually do. Yeah, there's nothing on the walls. Like everything's hidden away. It's all hyper confidential. Um, everyone has these kind of protectors on their screen. So you I've can't seen see. I've seen those on people I know within these yeah. firms. So if you're sitting next to them on a plane. There's no I'll way that you could glance over and see what they're up to. Exactly. But it, this but... is all, it, 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 it's very disturbing. And I just wonder how these characters sleep at night. I, I, I don't understand. And if the, the people I know in this industry that I have um, challenged have suggested that I'm a conspiracy theorist because I have suggested to them that they're following the World Economic Forum agenda and they've come back to me and said, you're a conspiracy theorist. We're not doing anything. We're making the world a better place. And we're meeting the needs of our clients. It has nothing to do with what you're <laughs> suggesting. And they make it out that I'm, you know, I'm the one that needs to maybe visit a therapist. So they're somehow able to twist it and justify their activities as though business is normal. There's nothing, yeah. there's nothing unusual going on here. Well, I mean, which is yeah. which is really disturbing. I think that I mean, so you know, as I said, I I didn't fit in in these organisations, and part of that is that yeah, I think that it's 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 ultimately soul destroying, and 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 you and you have to represent things and say things that you know to be false, and you have to hide information and talk but you, around but you, topics and not be explicit about things and it's just it's 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 not good for it's a, it's insidious and like you say it's soul killing but because you weren't groomed into this for you mm. it was probably shocking but if you've been groomed up through their system from graduation onwards and promoted and promoted to junior partner senior partner and you played the game you mm. you're you've lost your soul in the process i suppose and Money is your god, or power is your. I don't. I don't know what drives these people, but it's certainly they've lost touch with reality because they're not thinking. There's no conscience. No, you. I think you're right. Yeah, and and, and the you know, and, and a lot of it is to do with you know the entity that is the corporation ultimately. Mm -hmm. Right, it's like this, Alle it's allegiance, this... allegiance to the corporation. Yes, exactly. You're a company man, like you do. You're a you company do man. Right, you do what's right for the and, and yeah. woman, right? I mean, yeah. As I said, there's plenty of plenty of women up there, and it, you know, it's probably equal number of partners in the UK now, male and female. I would suggest it is someone like EY, like just based on the way things are heading, right? Just so it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not just not just men up there. It's, it's absolutely it's, women. Uh, yeah. You know, my former colleague is, mm -hmm. is the chief te chief technology officer at um, EY in the UK, and she's off spouting this stuff as well. And I've sent her a couple of messages saying, "Hey, 
I did this interview on the Denny Pod. You should probably listen to it because I talked about EY and I've not heard anything back. It's like, okay, well, but you also got to understand. I'm not trying to absolve anyone of any guilt here, by the way. But like, one of the things important to understand is that these people are actually, in, in many ways, trapped, right? Mm. Because if you're on three quarters of a million pounds a year in a career that you've been working your way up in for 25, 30 years. There's nowhere else you should go. Like you're not, and, and you've established a lifestyle that mm-hmm. is sustainable on that level of income. Then, what are you going to do? Like all of a sudden, just go? Oh goodness, no! I'm I, I, this isn't for me anymore. I'm going to go and get a job on you know like ten percent of what I'm earning. But you know, I've got two houses, three kids in boarding school. You know, this that way. You know, and I'm, I'm not sort of getting the violins out and telling everyone to feel sorry for these people, but you can understand like how how you would become um, trapped into that kind of um, mm-hmm. that kind of uh, mm-hmm. position, basically, yeah. right? And I think well, I'd, imagine, I'd imagine that there's a bunch of them who are looking around, and particularly because, by the way, on the back of this conversation, I've already been thinking about doing this already, right? But one of the things that you know, maybe it's my job in this is to focus on these consulting firms right because actually when you understand and it doesn't take much to put these things together now right because we know that the great reset was a massive scam the whole pandemic response was basically designed to bring in this global control system and we know that that was being led by the world economic forum and we know that your organizations are strategic partners of the world economic forum and we know that you've all been paid loads of money and earning record partner bonuses to implement these control digital control systems so what gives ey what gives deloitte what gives mckinsey what gives kpmg pwc bain bcg like what the hell's going on because they they're you're not they're not going to be able to hide on this one, right? It's 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 too egregious. Mm-hmm. It's out in the open. Yeah, the genie is out of the bottle, right? And there's plenty of people, whether it's me or anyone else. Yeah, there's plenty of people looking at this situation now who know enough about it and are not intimidated by these organisations. Mm-hmm. I think it's a mm-hmm. big part of it because people, you know, there's a lot of deference. There's a lot of um, oh, you know, they're they're like the the great and the good and the the betters and they're the you know they're above us and you know they get to make the decisions and call the shots and all that kind of stuff. It was like no, like you, I work with people. You know, one of the guys that was at EY, he's, he was a former top McKinsey partner and he'd been a he'd been like a big deal in private equity and you know he was a, a proper uh, you know old school sort of financial services partner like type type chap you know braces and you know real fat cat yeah literally like he and um but I he wasn't particularly impressive like he he was he was quite smart but actually a lot of it is down to schooling university personal network mm-hmm. you know so in some sense they're born into these elite professions as much as anything Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make them better or more intelligent or anything else. It just makes them, you know, they kind of lucked out. They're better positioned. They were willing to do the things required to um, to to maintain the status quo and carve out their own little space in the establishment. And, you know, that's what got them where they are. Um, but they're not, you know, intellectually superior. They're certainly not ethically or morally superior. They're quite the opposite. Quite the op- so you're an insider. 
So if you confront these people, they can't call you an idiot because you're you're working with their toolbox, right? You, I know, you, you know, I know exactly so, what so, they've done. Yeah. yeah, you know exactly. <laughs> you're speaking their language. And yeah. yeah, I would imagine that you would be quite effective to be quite aggressively approaching these consultants and saying, listen, wake up and look at what you are doing. You are a henchman in a very evil agenda. Yeah. And and acknowledge it and step out. We need people like you to step out and start talking. Because if we don't, we're we're watching humanity go down the drain. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's we need to step out and start talking. We need, I mean, ultimately, the, those firms need to, they need to, they need to end. I mean, I do, like, yeah. you know, like if you look at what, again, like you yeah. go back to it. What, what, what's the, what's the yardstick here? Yeah, like mm-hmm. if, 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 if Arthur Anderson goes down because of his relationship with Enron, then you know, and they were that was just in the, you know, as as bad as that was, it was just an accounting scandal, right? Yeah. You guys have been the foot soldiers. Mm-hmm. Or the implementation of global tyranny, mm-hmm. and in the process of doing that, you've killed a load of people. I mean, we're talking, you know, like uh, the death rate in the UK is t- averaging fifteen to twenty percent above average week to week. You know, every single week, another two and a half thousand people thereabouts die who wouldn't have died. Because that's a direct result, as I see it, of the vaccination program. The vaccine and, and Edward Dowd, the former BlackRock exec, yeah. has has really studied the actuarial charts coming out of insurance yeah, yeah, yeah. companies. And he's yep. showing a 45% increase in deaths in the 25 to 49-year-olds in the vaccinated group. Yep. How, how do you dismiss this? This is a, an, a fact, and the insurance companies are very exact in gathering data. Because yeah. their life, their, their life depends on it. That's what they do. So, so Edward yeah. Dowd, if you if you present that data to this cohort in the consultancy firms, yeah, they'll dismiss so, it because it doesn't the, fit. It doesn't fit the narrative that they're getting paid to deliver. I mean, they they it, it's not a dismissible thing at this point. It's I not think, dismissible. Said, no, in a one it's it's really not right, and and, and uh, that's why they're. But that's why they're in that's why they're in serious trouble um serious, and, and i yeah. think that it's mm-hmm. it's career ending for the people at the top um potentially criminal uh, mm-hmm. and everything that goes with that um but also potentially firm ending i mean like why would we allow these organizations to continue to operate no. and exist exactly with all mm-hmm. the great riches and responsibility yeah. that they have access to when there's no there's no reforming them they're no. they're sinister from start to finish. The whole structure of the organization is 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 corrupted. Um, what what yeah. portion what portion of the COVID response globally do you think was executed by the by these consultancy firms? Okay, so in Canada we do know about Quebec. I, I'd love to know about the other provinces because it was very yeah. draconian the response of lockdowns and vaccination mandatory vaccination rollout or you lose your ability to live to work to go into public spaces to fly that the, canada has been very draconian i'd love to know what other provinces and, and what firms were involved in the execution of that but what's your guess yeah. globally what percentage of the covid responses were dictated by the consultancies 
I mean, it's very, very difficult to put a number mm -hmm. on it. Uh, it's, it's very difficult, but they were clearly well. Let, okay, let's just let's just do it by by the virtue of, the, of there being, let's say, fifteen of them in the in the strategic partnership, one hundred for the World Economic mm -hmm. Forum. So let's mm -hmm. say fifteen percent. Maybe that's a way of doing it. You know, mm -hmm. like the. But then, but then also, then they were spreading across the corporations as well. So maybe it's bigger than that. But it's it's really hard to say. Yeah, it's hard Trude, because there's it's Trude, such Trudeau's, fuzzy lines. Mm -hmm. Trudeau is particularly bad. I mean, the guy's mm -hmm. he's been making money on this, right? I mean, he's actually invested in, I believe he's invested in vaccine companies. Uh, yeah, the nano, the nanotech. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's been being paid every time one of these things has gone into people's yep. arms. Like he's, mm -hmm. he's, he's the the, the um, really one of the worst global leaders in terms of his rhetoric about anti-vaxxers and these undesirables. And Undesirable, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely this detestable um, rhetoric and and really a detestable man. Actually, I mean, and he and, and he owns and, the and, media. And, he runs. He's he even laughed about it. How he controls the CBC, which is our oh, yeah. CBC yeah, equivalent. Yeah. So, and and half of our cabinet is World Economic Forum alumni from the young leaders. Yeah. So, and, so and Canada's, given, yeah, he's it's given so. hundreds of hundreds of millions of dollars to 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 the to the to the private media. Um, he and we share a head of state as well, right? So, like, the, and this is the thing that I've all always found because the the two worst maybe this is just because what i was seeing but the two worst countries for the lockdowns and the rhetoric were um canada and australia mm -hmm. you know if you look at what dan andrews is doing in melbourne mm -hmm. like the it was it was absolutely insane and we we're all part of this we're all part of the commonwealth yeah, you know, it's yeah, like it's oh, okay. they, they've got the uh, they've got the not the prisons, but the detention centers set up in Australia where people were sent. It was almost like prison, and the it police like uh, and the yeah. police were attacking innocent people sitting in parks having a coffee. Yeah, and and they were well, even in the UK, I thought it was fascinating that you were given a five mile radius that you could not travel outside of. That that whole lockdown I mean, it, concept it, to me yeah, is a they, prison they, term. It's it's what it is a prison term. It is literally a prison term. It's it's what you do when you um you need to move prisoners around. You lock yes. everyone down and so you can go in and get them without having to worry about you know um, being molested by the rest of the population. Like it's 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 literally what it is. And but then you un when you understand that Serco, which is controlled by the British royal family, yeah, was responsible for um. A lot, uh, a lot of the the pandemic response in this country, a lot of the pandemic response in Australia, um, who also run the deportation system, who also run the prison system in the UK, you know, like you can see, essentially they're operating on the same the same principles, the same it's, platform, a lot of the same technology, even. Yeah, yes, it's like let's it's, just well, this is what we're doing in the prisons. Well, we'll just apply that to the general population now. Okay, cool, and we'll pay the same people to do it. And we'll spit out false data like Neil Ferguson, who's known to be about tenfold off in every prediction he's ever made. And yep. Niels Ferguson and Imperial College put out the modeling as to how many people are going to die. And then yep. they justify the lockdowns and then they roll out a farcical uh, PCR test with Christian Drosten, which yeah. is, you know, so everything, it's lies upon yeah, lies, fraud, layers yeah. and layers. It's fraud. What we're dealing with here yeah. is fraud. But I get yeah. the sense that now that all these experts are saying, well, we didn't know. We were afraid. 
We responded to what the population wanted, which was lockdowns. I didn't hear anyone in the population saying, I want a lockdown. But now they're all justifying their actions as though this was a normal course of events. And then you yep, find out the infection fatality rate is exactly the same as the seasonal flu, as yep. Johnny Onidas at Stanford said in the early days, but no one yeah. listened to him. So it, no. the fraud is what gets me, but I feel so heads should roll. And yet, literally, no, people are going to walk away from this with their pockets bulging with money no. and live on their yachts happily ever after. It's just the crime of the cent. Well, it's the crime of of humanity. I don't think it's the crime of the century, right? I, I the well, okay. So we've kind of examined the past. Looking forward now, let's talk about central bank digital currency and digital identity and um, uh, artificial intelligence. Where do you see? Because these same parties, these same criminals are very engaged in this process of moving us towards a very dystopic uh, reality. What, what are your thoughts in terms of where we're headed and what, what they have up their sleeve next? Yeah, well, I mean, we, so we know what they want, right? They want everyone on their digital control system. And the mm -hmm. currency is a big part of that because if they can control your access to money, and they can program the money to make it do things that normal money won't do. So like they can take taxes directly from your account. They can take fines directly from your account. They can um, put an expiration date on your money so that you have to spend it by a certain time, like put negative interest rates on things so that it makes incentivize you to spend it rather than hold on to it. Uh, geolocate you so that you can only spend your money within a certain radius of where you live which will make the, the the kind of 15 minute city thing that they're trying to bring in very real like if you aren't able to exist outside of your 15 minute city then you know they don't even have to put walls around it or fences up like you just won't be able to go anywhere yeah like and that, that's that's where all of this stuff is coalescing on that's where it's where it's headed towards um and uh, they are working with the consulting firms to implement a lot of this today, right? You know, I've been on um, video conferences with people from IBM talking about it as if it's a done deal, by the way. So it's like there's no question in their mind mm -hmm. as to the, to the fact that this is going to be implemented and they're mm -hmm. all rubbing their hands about how much more money they're going to be able to make because of all of the 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 efficiencies that will be introduced into the system and all the new tricks that they're going to be able to to perform with the with the additional capabilities that this stuff brings um and i've got it under i mean this so there's this is this is this is um off the edge of the map stuff right and mm. it, i'm not going to mention the names of any companies because i don't want to get um accused of well i don't want to end up in court if i'm being completely honest with you but i've had a couple of conversations with a guy that is big in the crypto space who's doing uh, his own investigative journalism a alongside a bunch of other people. And they've basically been tracking large payments from, let's just say, central bankers to run prototype or proof of concept experiments using central bank digital currency technology with chunks of money that has been paid out to the consulting firms then being made paid back in bribes to the officials 
and they've actually got evidence of this happening. Yeah, so you know the the central bankers are are, are using the consultancies uh, to implement the technology as well as a way to launder money to bribe them. Oh my right? goodness. It's, oh right. my goodness. This is Yeah. That's and I and I can't get any more specific than that. Not yeah. least because this that's been that's been given to me um by someone who's doing the investigating at the moment. But I, I it I would not surprise me one bit. And it's the same firms, but I'm not, you know, not, I haven't heard of not haven't heard of all of them. I've heard of one or two. Actually, no, I haven't. I've heard of. I've got them written down here. I'm not going to read it out, but yeah. Um, some of the ones, one or two of the ones we've talked about, and then there's three others that we haven't talked about. Yeah. So, the, so the, this the, is the, widespread. This is. Widespread. It's not a one-off. This is this is the 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 way they maneuver. Yeah. It, it's 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 it appears to be systemic. Yeah. And and that's uh you know just another example of 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 how this is is, is the consultancies are, are helping to play this whole thing out basically so this is um, where they're pushing us right into a dystopic social credit system exactly like china yeah it's based, based on the chinese platform and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know schwab has been very vocal about that fact you know he's basically said yeah the chinese system is the is the right system and you know, it's the best one and it's the one that gives the most control. And you said that on the record, you know, like uh, that, that that's absolutely the case. And and what a lot of people don't seem to understand, um, unfortunately, is that that system is completely, totally and utterly incompatible with the Western system. Yeah. Right. Like we don't operate like that. You do not get to have that much knowledge about and control over my life mr government like you just don't piss off yeah and luckily we are in a scenario where they failed so they tried to bring this thing in they failed they'll try to bring the cbdc in um they'll probably implement it right but the thing the problem they've got the really big problem that they've got is adherence to it so mm-hmm. why am i going to use your digital currency when there are a myriad of other options available to me to use yeah because your digital currency is no different to i mean really in fact it's worse for me as a as a as a as a consumer as a as a user of money the the system that you're proposing to bring in is significantly worse than i don't know xrp or like any yeah. of these other digital currencies mm-hmm. the only barrier is adoption right so if we can and this is this is one of the things that i'm pushing for at the moment and i don't exactly know what the answer is right but basically the a big solution to this and one of the most comprehensive and powerful ways that we can fight back is by enabling transactions in non-central bank digital currencies across the entire supply chain the reason that money is useful mm-hmm. is that you can go in and exchange it anywhere right for anything mm-hmm. yeah but you have to be able to the the per, the person that you're transacting with has to be able to accept it as payment mm-hmm. yeah so if we can or someone whoever it might be can create a point of sale technology that looks like a card machine in a shop that you would go in and use and 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 
And I don't know if it's exactly that interface or whatever, mm-hmm. it, however it's going to manifest, you know, that might be difficult to do in the short term, right? It might be that it has to be off the phone and maybe it's phone to phone or something, but we need a way of transacting across the whole economic system, particularly the really important bits, right? Like the food supply chain. Yeah. Yeah. We can get that sorted then then we're, we're we're free really at that point right because you know all these digital currencies they've essentially lost control of of the system completely mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is one of the one of the most exciting and entertaining things about how all of this stuff's playing out by the way because the thing that people don't see quite as clearly and i'm beginning to see it now very much so is that right at the top of all of this you've got a bunch of old people I call it a, a, a kleptocratic gerontocracy, right? So they're, they're, they're acquisitive, selfish, old people who just don't want to give up and they don't want to die and they want everything for themselves, right? So it really is. It's the Kissingers of this world. It's the um, the uh, uh, um, Diane, is it Diane Feinstein, the senator who just got wheeled into... <laughs> Uh, the, 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 the one of the senator for California, right? She just mm-hmm. got wheeled into into the Senate yesterday, like looking like a she was basically a cadaver, right? I mean, it's literally like you're in your late eighties, you can't walk, like you you're corrupt as sin. Like, why are you representing the country? And right, and the thing is, up and it's the Pelosi's and it's the Bidens and it's the you know the, those people that generation you know they're all in this late 70s 80s the guys behind black rock the guys behind the Carlisle group they're all up there in that category yeah mm-hmm. and the thing about them is that they're they're older and they didn't grow up with the internet and, and in many ways they don't understand it you know it's that kind of like boomer thing you know like the the you know you don't they don't get it they probably didn't even you know a bunch of them they probably don't even know how to send emails because mm-hmm. they don't need to because there's people mm-hmm. around them to do that for them right they never mm-hmm. had to you know, they they're, they're from the era when I would they would dictate a letter to their secretary, and then that would be typed up and, and passed on, and they wouldn't even have to lift a finger. You know, and and they created the you know the, the, depending on your view on what the internet is, but there's a lot of people who say that it's actually part of the kind of control system, and that's why it was created. You know, and then the great the great irony of that is that they created it as the control system that was going to be used to subjugate us. And Klaus Schwab talks about digitization 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 right they're very focused on digital technology and keeping us on these technologies so there's obviously some truth to it but the irony is that that tool that they created to subjugate us is actually one of the things that ultimately is is set us free because it's allowed us to first of all access information in a way that is unprecedented yeah Mm it's it's allowed us to to broadcast information and become media in our own right in a way that they never thought was going to happen right and and they have completely lost control of that and it's also allowed us to bring you know things like digital currencies for example which, you know it was illegal to create your own currency and there was no way that you would have been able to do it you know prior to these devices coming along right so actually a bunch of their control mechanisms that were um unbreakable in the past have now been completely undermined by the technology that they built that was designed to finally and fully subjugate us yeah so there's an, there's an enormous amount of irony in that and they, and they don't yeah. understand it and actually there was a really good um 
I've been digging around. There's this guy. Um, so we're sort of deviating on the topic a little bit now, but there mm-hmm. was there was this guy in, in Oxford called Daniel Freeman or Friedman, who's a psychologist, and he did a presentation. And he had um, you you probably won't know who John Snow is. He's a broadcaster in the UK. He's the anchor man for the Channel Four News. I've heard very yes. hard. Mm-hmm. Very highly respected guy, right? He was anyway, not anymore by me. I mean, remarkable who you've been able to clock as part of this over the past couple of years, three years, seeing how they've been behaving. And basically, there's this guy, this is in 2021. It's a couple of years ago now that this this video was recorded. And it's up, you know, it's got like 500 views or something on YouTube. I found it the other day. And it's basically Jon Snow and Daniel Friedman and one other guy talking about anti-vax sentiment yeah it's the classic thing and this guy the psychologist has been doing a lot of research and he's making these recommendations about messaging and the best way to talk about things in order to overcome those silly anti-vaxxers with their selfish selfish nasty ways and like how to you know swindle them into doing what you want them to do and they talk about the internet in a way and social media in a way that is very naive very 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 naive and um they ultimately they don't understand it and they've completely lost control of the narrative the old systems that used to work for them no longer work network television is dead no one reads the newspapers anymore yeah like the younger generation absolutely you know there's people probably in their late 20s you know even early 30s you've never bought a newspaper right they just don't it's not how they consume information Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a huge amount of you know and particularly people like me who are much more net savvy and research savvy and i've done this professionally for many many years i've got a completely new media ecosystem that i've built for myself over a decade plus and that's where i get my information and the vast majority of it i don't pay for the vast majority of it is just people like me and like you who are just doing this, you know, because we're concerned citizens who believe that there's information that needs to be out there. Um, and there we now have the channels to be able to distribute it. A lot of what I get is, is news, particularly out of the US, just comes straight off Telegram. Like, why would I go anywhere else? I don't, I don't need to go anywhere else. And no. when you say that to people, they 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 sort of look at you like you're, or they they sort of go, yeah, you, that's insane. You can't do that. You can't get most of your information on social media. It's like, well, why not? Like, what's the difference? I mean, it's better. I don't. I'm the editorial filter, so I don't have someone deciding like what thirty minutes of news I'm going to be shown and how that's going to be spun to me yeah. and how it's going to be clipped and edited. I just go and get the, you know, I'll go and find the, you know, I don't, I don't want the three minute version or the two minute version. I want the half hour version straight off C-SPAN that this guy very helpfully clips and puts into his Telegram channel. And I watch the whole thing on my own. Thank you very much. Yeah, You and don't need I'm it. Like, you don't need it curated or edited. You're, no, you're, not. you're, you're uh, sourcing primary information and, yeah. and that's mut. it's raw and it's real and it's authentic yes. and it's unedited. And I agree exactly. with you. I have abandoned mainstream media as well. I used to read The Guardian. I used to read The New York Post, The Economist, um, listen to CBC Radio. I've abandoned all of that because when you do engage with it, it's so, the propaganda is so glaring. I can't, I can't, uh, 
I, I have no appetite for it anymore. It just, no. it's not real. It's not authentic news. And I agree with you. So a good many of us have reverted, but you're, so you're quite optimistic that we will be able to utilize the internet and, and uh, really block this, this plan or this agenda you think will be successful by creating alternative ways of bartering or, or transacting uh, goods. You think this is possible. I hope you're it's right. Already, it, it, already, it already exists. Mm-hmm. Which well, is the I guess, thing, right? It, mm-hmm. It's already there. It's just making it so that it's it, it's a it's w- w- the 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 ultimate end goal, right? Is to create a parallel system that is indistinguishable in the useful bits. Like, so it'd be good. You want to be able to just pay for something super quick at the checkout without having to think about it the way that you do now when you tap your card on the reader. Mm-hmm. If we could do that, and I don't think you know, Visa have done it, Mastercard have done it, so we can do it. You, you could replicate not... it. It sounds to me like you've got a yeah, project why... in the works. If you could get a really good team together, I think it would be yeah, adopted well... by so many people because there does need to be a standard system that is adopted, yeah. um, in, well, but... even, you know, it, it, country by country or internationally. I think that would be extremely attractive because there's well, a I, gap. I'm... There's a gap right now. There isn't yeah, there something is, yet. There, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. There is a gap. I mean, I've got I've got projects in the works and every bit of the system, right? Because you need mm-hmm. in order for it to in it, in order in order to. And, and by the way, if any of your listeners want to fund some of those, that'd be great. You can give me a call and we can talk about it, right? Because these things aren't cheap to do, but the the potential upside is 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 is, is well, it's, it's stratospheric actually if you get it right um and and in particular if there if there are any you know i spent like two hours just dogging down on the on the uh on the consulting industry if there are any super smart consultants in any of these firms who realize that actually that they probably shouldn't be working with these psychopaths and it'd be best for them to be out on the outside doing something else then come on down yeah someone there's plenty plenty of us out here yeah, and someone maybe who's recently retired out of the consultancy world, who yep. um, could lend in or lean in on a project like this. This is this is absolutely imperative that it happens. I agree with you. We need to have a system of transacting, and you do you do yeah. hear people talk about transacting with gold or silver or bartering goods, but that's not practical uh, on yeah. a on a grander scale. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there were a system that were trustworthy? that we could all yeah. sign into but it would yeah, have to it, but it would have to be backed by hard assets right so so ultimately that's where we where it will get to but in the meantime you know there are very robust you know talks about XRP that's one there are, there are a few other very very established uh high you know high volume digital currencies that can be used for this purpose. Ultimately, where we want to get to is what we call a, a ABDC, which is an asset-backed digital currency. Yeah. So the cent- the central bank digital currency is fiat. Yeah. It's just yeah. fiat currency, right? And that's why they've got such a ridiculous. Pre- it's really remarkable. Like they 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 are on no. There's no solidity underneath no. their position at the moment, no. right? If you look at someone like the governor of the Bank of England. Yeah, he's up there making these big pronouncements about the future of society and the way things are going to happen. It's like, why are we listening to you? Yeah, you've got nothing here. 
There's no proposition. Yeah, you don't need to print the money anymore. So you that stranglehold that you had on everything has completely disappeared. All you're offering us is a is is a digital asset that you can conjure up infinite more of at whim. You know, depending on what day way the wind's blowing, or you know what you had for breakfast this morning, you can just create more of this stuff willy nilly and devalue our our currency. Well, why don't we just get rid of you? Why is the central banker in the middle there? What are they doing? Are they but other we, than manipulating, but, uh, manipulating the system against yes. us? But we see that's, that. That's it. But do you find, yeah. I would say the vast majority of Canadians don't see this. So in Canada right now, they're doing a poll to ask Canadians what their thoughts are on a new central bank digital currency as though they're they're searching for feedback or trying to solicit feedback. Mm -hmm. But in reality, we know they're going, they don't care about what we think about it. They're going to roll it out. And I, I worry that the vast, you know, majority of Canadians will adopt it because all of a sudden they will tie uh, our pensions to it because the pensions are bust. So they'll tie the pensions to it. So every pensioner is going to sign into the system and then they'll tie probably your registered accounts. They'll tie that to it. So I can see how they're going to rope people in or 50% of Canadians that work for the government. Well, all of those people are going to get pulled into the central bank digital currency. So they, they're they holding Canadians. Um, they've got wow. control already of the people. So when they implement this, I think the vast majority of Canadians will be suckered in because well, so many are vulnerable to the government already. They're on their payroll or now they've just uh, declared that to pay taxes in Canada, you have to pay them digitally. You're not allowed to pay by tax or go to the bank and pay with cash. You have to pay digitally. So they're forcing us to adopt this central bank digital currency, which is on the, you know, on the precipice of being rolled out. Yeah. So I, 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 I feel for the Canadians. I think part of the part of the problem for the Canadians is same with the Australians as well, right? Is that it's a relatively small population in a vast, Mm -hmm. vast country. Yes. So actually, the your ability to coalesce into like a fighting unit, very push back against against this obvious overreach by a narcissistic psychopath, which is Trudeau and whatever her name is, the the um. The, the Nazi woman. Oh, yes, who's, yes. Who's um, Christa Freeland. Justine who, Freeland, yeah. Oh, yeah, Christa Freeland, who actually, incidentally, has strong ties to the World Economic Forum and the UN. Yes, of course. Yeah. So she's Agenda right. 2030 all, all the way. And, uh, you know, and, and actually quite a history, apparently. Now, I have to be careful what I say, because now in Canada, they just passed Bill C-11, which is a censorship law. You're not allowed to criticize the government. You're not allowed to criticize anyone or you could land yourself in prison or be fine. So this is this is the the direction our country's going. Um, It's it's extremely disheartening. But I like your idea. And and I agree. This ABCD idea, I think, is brilliant. I hope that you're able to get it out there quickly. But but we need a standardization that everyone in the world or in North America or Europe, we all agree, okay, we're going to go with this system. Exactly. And there's no back door. And there's no back door because there's a trust issue. Absolutely. There's a trust issue. So how do you, how do you. But that's central central banking. I I, I haven't got, I don't know. um, um, 
well, I mean, Fort Knox used to have supposedly used to hold all of the gold, right? And the Bank exactly. of England, in, you know, we used to have all the gold in there, and you, you yes. could go in and you could touch it, and it actually existed. But Gordon yeah. Brown sold it all off at a massively reduced rate to his mates in the city, you know, like they. So they, there's there's a whole bunch of things that have been done to steal the wealth of the nation, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it, ultimately, we need to find a way of of, of, of getting that back. Um, you know, I think one of them. I mean, particularly if I look at what's happening in London, uh, the or you know, as centre of the global financial system, um, you know, one of the things that we need to be looking at doing. And again, like you know, sort of how you know that um, like left wing politicians in the UK are not serious. Yeah, is that they never ever talk about tax havens they never ever talk about the fact that there's 50 trillion offshore connected directly to the city of london in these havens like the cayman islands and the british virgin islands and jersey and guns you know like all of them um like why are we not talking about closing those let's get rid of those loopholes you know let's well, those, those, those are yeah those are the loopholes for the elite Absolutely. So, well, no, no, no one else is using them. No one else knows. You know, if I live on a council estate in East London, I don't know what blind trust is. Like, that's not. It doesn't doesn't figure. You know, mm-hmm. but like, and and and, and until um, the the extravagant generational wealth that exists in this country is more equitably distributed, and I don't mean equitable in the um, the the neo Marxist term yes people talk about equity these days it's not what i mean what i mean is that we need to just spread the wealth out more and make things more fair and um and do that of our own volition yeah people who've got access to more need to need to do a better job of of um distributing not just wealth but opportunity and knowledge out into the population so that people can can self-sustain right i'm not talking about you know, just charitable donations everywhere. It's like, no, we need to invest into the nation. We need to invest into infrastructure. We need mm-hmm. to invest into the future. We need to invest into communities. Um, and and it's you know, all the, very decent. It's all very decentralized, right? It needs, it needs to be decentralized because because mm-hmm. uh, well because well because otherwise the government will do it for you. And if yeah. and if the government and 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 if the government come in because and, and again like people need to understand right it's like these, these these people aren't messing around like they are actual neo-marxists right the, but the, particularly the sort of national level political players yeah not the not the supranational people yeah like the, they're just using marxism as a way to subjugate everybody else but like the the local operating level the 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 they there are people who are literally marxists and they're not coming after your income they don't, they don't want to just increase taxes a little bit they want your assets and they probably want to. They probably want your head on a spike, yeah. Depending on exactly how up the how far up that that capitalist hierarchy you are, right? And and if that startles you a little bit, good because it should do, yeah. Because that's actually what they're thinking about, right? Um. And uh, so you know we so we we've got to get ahead of that. And um, as a nation, I thought you know I've talked about this a bit recently with other people. Like as the, the English, we've got to, we've got to, um, we've got to sort it out. So otherwise, it will be sorted out for us. And the people yeah. doing the sorting out for us are not going to have our best interests at heart. No, at, at all. They're just interested in power and yeah. revenge, Re- power, and, you know, greed, um, control. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And so it sounds as though you're optimistic. 
but but we we clearly are at war would you say or is this yeah, war? absolutely we're, yeah it's war yeah, absolutely this is a war I've, but the I've the war since... but the irony is a good portion of the population doesn't see that we're in a war they've got no, no a bunch of them have got no idea actually no. and it's remarkable but it's yeah we've been we've been at war for three over three yeah. years now yeah i would and, say and, at the beginning of covid that was the beginning yeah, that was an, absolutely. It was a, it was a that was a um that was an act of war. It's the only way to read it. Uh, yeah. Globalist globalist uh, infiltration of uh the the institutions uh, and yeah. the um the brutal subjugation of the population. I mean, it's just completely unprecedented. Like um yeah. and you know the and, and I yeah I am I am optimistic. I'm optimistic because well they they failed right. So that it's not. But you know, like the, what, why would you want a hatch scheme like that in the first place? I don't know. But then also, the idea that you were going to be able to pull it off was just so arrogant mm -hmm. that it's actually hilarious how badly you did, right? Just to see, you know, and I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in some of those rooms, you know, with Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and a bunch of those other characters when they actually realised like how screwed they were, <laughs> and and the kind of climb down that they would have had to have been made from their egos for like can you um, can you imagine I, I wouldn't you love to be a fly in the wall and i often wonder yeah. the conversations surrounding especially the developing world because i look at a continent like africa where only four or five percent of people succumb to the vaccine and they yeah. know what bill melinda gates foundation are up to they know what happened in kenya with a million people being sterilized under the guise of yep. a polio vaccine or something so yep. it's so interesting to me that the developing world has been much more savvy much more intuitive and they have not put up with this nonsense even though they killed five presidents in different african nations that did yep. not stop the spirit of the african people and they have snubbed the globalists yep. completely uh and yeah, I, they have yeah yeah so it's, they it's, have, it's, and they see it as an extension of the American empire as well. So it's, the, yeah. you know, that's which is kind of what it is. And, you know, there was a guy, I can't remember what country he was from. He was talking very pointedly recently about, you know, the fact that he liked Putin and, you know, Putin could come to his country and he wouldn't arrest him. We'd pick him up from the airport and drive him around if he wants. Like, he's fine. You know, he's never done anything bad to us. So why should we now have to vilify him because you lot have decided that he's a bad guy because, you know, he, he, he decided to clear your bioweapons facilities out of ukraine mm -hmm. you know which is basically what the, the what he's been doing um but yeah even in this country there's 17 million people who've not had a single dose of the vaccine in that's a the lot UK. of that so that's about a quarter of your population it's a lot of people that's a and, lot and you, of people and you can build back on that real quick this is yeah. why i'm not concerned but basically you know so the way i say it the way i describe it is it, it's all over by the shouting there's going to be a lot of shouting because there's a lot of people who are very invested in their view of how this whole thing's played out, who are going to have to, uh, well, actually what they're going to experience is, is ego death. It will be a, it will be a death for them in a way. And some yeah. of them, it will be a literal death. Like a literal, yeah. I think that their heads are going to pop. Like they won't be able to take it, but there will be a bunch of people who will, who will, you know, it will be ego death. Like, it's like, well, this is my, I, I am, I am smart. I know what's going on. I was behind all of these things, but then it turns out 
that every single one of those things and they must they must be doing some real mental gymnastics at the moment just to just to kind of keep their head together in terms of like what they're and it's one of the reasons i think why they jump from topic to topic so much because it's like i can't think we we can't talk about covid now because ukraine's important it's like yeah but you do remember the last two years when you were saying all this stuff and then it turned out that all that stuff was not true and we were telling you that the whole way through and you said that we were idiots and like we hated humanity and we were trying to kill everyone, but actually we were right. Like you, you can't have failed to notice that. Right. And they're still desperately trying to yeah. avoid having to deal it's with a, it. Well, don't you find um, that most of these people who are embedded in this agenda, they don't want to have any conversation. They will not, they won't engage. They won't discuss it. They won't debate, argue, nothing. There's just a silence. As though if they ignore it, it will go away. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think, um, yeah, the the time's running out on that front. Like you can't, you can't ignore it. Um, I think, well, look, basically, the where I where I'm at is that people they need they need an out. So what I'm more interested, you know, I'm still rooting out corruption right because there's plenty of it around and um like i think that we, it has to be documented and it has to be discussed so that's mm -hmm. why i've got these two these two projects that i'm working on at the minute one of them's called rise which is riseuk.substack.com mm -hmm. and that's like going through the guts of the corruption in healthcare the banking system a lot of the stuff that we talked about today um the culture war that we've been living through all of this like hard left identitarian uh appalling politics that's been coming out of the the, the media and out of the, the education system like the you know soup to nuts all of those all of that stuff needs to be looked at mm -hmm. right in order for us to understand it in order for us to to constructively move on from this appalling chapter in, in human history right but then also there are a bunch of people who, as much as I would like them to be involved in that conversation, they aren't going to be, they're not going to have it for whatever reason, you know, because their ego won't allow them or because it's too heinous and awful for them to contemplate, you know, or a combination of those two things. Um, so then the, the other projects I'm working on is called pattern. That's pattern 18.substack.com. And that's about building out. And, and actually, okay. I think I have, you know, I've been mainly focused on the Rise project, and that was what kicked off with the Dellingpod interview and this conversation, mm -hmm. a bunch of the other conversations that I've had that are like this over the past few weeks. And I've got a few more coming up, and I'll continue to hammer that because it's important. I'm actually starting a live stream every Sunday this week, and you know, I'm going to step things up on that front. Uh, but then also, I think that the 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 most important thing is to give people like a positive, optimistic opportunity to build out and to do something that is an antidote to all of this stuff yeah and that's what i i'm i'm really doing. happy to hear that so the rise is more of an uh exposing the darkness exposing the evil and the corruption yes. and pattern 18 is more of a solutions-based proactive yeah. and and i i'm really happy to hear that you're involved in that because we need very very clever focused people like you to build our new reality, to build the parallel society, because there's so many of us that will not opt in. We won't opt in to this um, sinister, uh, pla you know, platter that they're they're laying out for us and saying, "Okay, this is this is the future." No, it's not my future. That's not my future. I will not play play this game. 
I think there's yep. enough of us. So the fact that you were maybe working on some solutions is very comforting to know. And hopefully more people step forward and focus on the solutions because so many people are involved in exposing the evil and the darkness, but not as many people are involved in solutions. And we need smart people. That- Mm-hmm. It, but that's that has that is that is actually this it is the root out of this right yeah, because there's yeah. there's you know I, I speak to my friends about this stuff and and i think there's a bunch of people who you know who that i know that were uh extraordinarily dismissive of what i was saying and have now realized that actually i was right on most of it who don't actually want they cannot bring themselves to say it yeah, and you know, regardless, you know, whatever, whatever the the case is to that, they need to be given something positive to look at. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I think part of it is that it's too, it's too horrible to countenance. They don't want to actually have to deal with it intellectually, like no, the, the, no. the 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 level of it's, it is evil. You know, you're dealing with evil. Um. So the so the the pattern project is yeah. Let's let let's build out of this and let's and let's come at it in a in a at a systemic level, right? So yeah. you actually have to go through. I mean, the obvious place to start is healthcare, yeah, because the health system is one of the primary channels that they've been using to attack us and to control us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so and and there, there's there's loads happening in healthcare at the moment, which is really exciting. And I okay, encourage tell me, people tell to me go, the. Tell me the exciting bits happening in healthcare. Where do you yeah, see so, some hope, or what? What's the future? So the the the, the most d- developed manifesto that I've read that I think is exceptionally good, which is by a lady. Um, well, it's from an organization actually. So it's an organization called the World Council for Health. Yes, Tess Laurie. Then Tess Laurie. I, I love yeah. her. Yes, and I think the World yeah. Council of Health. They actually have a meeting coming up beginning they of do. june in back exactly yeah. they, they, absolutely they do mm-hmm. yes and, and then the from last year they basically developed a set of principles focused on uh reclaiming and rebuilding science um, managing the consequences of covid19 uh creating a world in which people thrive restoring journalistic intelligence and media credibility developing laws in the legal system that serves human rights and a whole bunch of other things right and and basically they've set out a strategic perspective of what the issues are and what the actions that need to be taken are in order to address those issues in a whole bunch of areas primarily focused on media and healthcare and basically what I'm looking at doing with Patton is taking a, a, a number of these things in here which are basically micro projects and um getting teams focused around them getting funding to back that work that's really important because at the moment a lot of people are doing this stuff including myself like off the side of our desk basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know it, the idea that the people who are invested in building the hu- the future of humanity uh, are, are trying to scrape it together you know between contracts for other projects and you know when the kids have gone to bed and all that kind of stuff it's like no this is crazy we need if there are if there are people out there who um who 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 are who who back humanity who back the west who want a positive future for western civilization and by extension of that the whole global population right because if the west is healthy and everyone else is healthy and if the west and you know just for a whole bunch of reasons not mm-hmm. because we're the most important or anything like that but like you want your neighbor to be doing well yeah my prosperity is not your is is doesn't prevent your prosperity right we we rise 
together if yes. we do this properly yeah because we're not the old colonial colonial powers uh they're all fading away they're the people that have tried to implement this global system that yeah. we're all pushing back against yeah we're here for humanity yeah. we're here for decentralization we're here for um empowering the people we're here for truth justice transparency all that kind of stuff decorporatization you know and 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 um and we need we need people who of means who are willing to back that yeah and not back it necessarily you know the, the, this is a commercial conversation as much as anything else right mm -hmm. i think and 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 one of the great strengths of the western system is the capitalist system right you know the idea that um we do invest in creating wealth i think that's a good yeah. thing yeah that's yeah. how you know we prosper and how civilizations advance a lot of it is to do with the creation of wealth it's how you yeah. incentivize people how they establish themselves in the world right mm -hmm. you know so this idea that money is fundamentally evil is, is is crazy one of the things i'm particularly looking at and interested in is innovation in advanced technology and particularly the the what will ultimately be the 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 massive diversification of the device ecosystem in particular because it when it becomes apparent that apple for example uh um one again one of the main perpetrators of um this agenda that they've been trying to implement yeah and and actually i mean you talk about ethics you know we've all you know i've got a apple phone i've probably had 10 of these and multiple apple laptops and then you kind of realize oh hang on a minute Let's go and dig into their supply chain and look at how this stuff's actually made. It's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, they are actually using forced labor in concentration camp camps in China. Yeah. So that's pretty screwed up. The Uyghurs, uh, you know, it's it's yeah, exactly. So the Uyghur Muslims. They, they right, don't talk so, about. Well, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. we know this. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, okay, well, why? That's ripe for disruption. Let's get rid of the. Let's completely transform it. Let's, let's tr transform advanced tech. And we can do that in the UK, not easily, but we can do it more easily than most because we've got the phenomenal advanced technology ecosystem around Cambridge, right? Like, you know, ARM, for example, I've talked about before, they actually, they, they, they do the chip architecture, right? So everything is predicated on ARM technology. I mean, the, the, the success and the growth of the iPhone is predicated on ARM. On what, is, what, what is ARM? I've never heard of that. So they do, yes, it's the most most influential company no one's ever heard of right so they basically they, they chip they do chip architecture so they design the silicon uh, but they don't create it so they're a bit like intel so mm -hmm. the, the intel inside you know like the the microprocessors that mm -hmm. powered the pcs in, mm -hmm. in, particularly in the 90s they got really big in the 90s but they're still huge now right but like the, that was when they were in the ascendant um uh, arm do a a component of what intel do but they don't actually make the chips they just design them and then they license that those designs that architecture to people like nvidia and qualcomm who then create chips they have the foundries so um it's it's pure intellectual property a, a staggeringly profitable company very well run i've met the whole how how, how can we never have heard of this they're obviously a private not publicly traded uh, so they were listed. Well, they got bought by. So they're currently owned by SoftBank. So that's oh, okay. Yeah, I know yeah. SoftBank. Yeah, yeah. So they're owned by Soft by the Vision Fund by the yeah. Vision Fund One. Or I, can't, I think it's number one. Maybe no, it's not number two because that's more recent. So they've they've owned it for a while. 
and they're currently pumping it up for for an IPO. So they and you know ridiculously they're they're going to IPO in New York, and no one in in British politics seems to have noticed this or care. I mean, it's remarkable, right? It's, like ARB, it's like the the primary national asset that we have. It's up there with Rolls Royce, right? I mean, it's like it's at, it's on that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the prestige, the amount of money that's made, the global influence, and you're just going to allow them to list in New York and take a strategic asset that the nation should be protecting and capitalizing on, and you're just going to let them flog it to the highest bidder in, in the American market. They're not even going to list it in London. What it's crazy. So if I was running the country, one of the first things that I would do is I'd be ringing up um, Rem Haas, who's the CEO, and I'd be telling him you're not listing anywhere. Like you're 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 staying in the UK, and actually we're probably going to nationalise you. It's and it's I'd, a na- would, it's a national treasure that is just going to sell to the highest bidder, and away they go. Yeah, it's just, it's just, well, it's a strategic asset, and you yeah. can build an entire new te- advanced technology ecosystem around that. But like but people, it, but the people within Arm. Is there any integrity? Do you know people there? I've met, I've met, I've met the CEO before. I've met a number of the board before. I've met, um, uh, I mean, they <laughs> integrity. I think that they have integrity. I mean, you, you, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a murky world. Like once you really dig into what those tech companies do and have done and like why potentially some of these programs that they're involved in exist it's like oh hang on a minute most of this is a bit fishy but you can say that about basically everything at this point mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um but i know that there, there are some good people there i really liked there was a lady i met there chief who's the main board chief people officer she was um she was she was really great actually i really liked her um and so could you, so, cool, really so could you mobilize think- so you could maybe mobilize arm and say listen we need some of your people to work alongside me we so you would be fabulous at putting together a, a strategic team and try to lull some of the defectors from the main you know the the uh consultancy world and and let them know that there's a place to go there, there is space for what I call a special operations approach to complex problem solving, which is what DARPA is, right? It's basically mm-hmm. um, hyper-focused, small teams, uh, f- uh, full free and free, account- like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, total freedom to pursue project goals, right? With almost unlimited backing and funding and, you know, very few guardrails around how they're how they're getting things done, you know, like very lightweight teams, very uh, well incentivized. It's, 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 it, it is the best way to do things, right? So you, if you were to assume that model to get mm-hmm. things done, it sounds like a very efficient model, very successful model. It is very successful. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a way to do it. Right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's basically the, you know, the, the way... It's, like a, it's, most... like a think, it's like a think tank, very, very yeah. focused. And um, no, it, it sounds like a very... A very good idea. All, all innovation, yeah, mm-hmm. all innovation, particularly mm-hmm. real, real world paradigm shift, real paradigm, real paradigm, shift. real paradigm shifts mm-hmm. happen because what an individual or a very small group of people focus on something for a period of generally like three to seven years. And then they unlock something that's never mm. been done before. Mm. But it comes from a tiny group. 
It doesn't come from huge teams. And that's true across the board. Everywhere you look, music, technology, anywhere. Yeah, all of these big companies, all the ones that we know now, like HP and Facebook, and they all started with some dude in a bedroom or a garage somewhere tinkering around with a soldering iron or writing a little bit of code. And that's where the leap comes from. Yeah, well, when we think back to like Steve Jobs and when he first was talking about what his visions were, Mm. that he wants everything on the, the smartphone. I remember thinking back when that was first announced and I thought, wow, imagine everything that's on your computer, which at that time was massive. Mm. Um, and, and to think all the functionality of a computer on your phone. Wow. That's really, it's rather um, optimistic and a grandiose sort of plan. But if you have a plan, you can usually achieve it. Yeah. So I, I think that you're on to so many different ideas. I think what we need to do is start getting people to know who you are, how to contact you, and you could start putting these teams together and really be the, the front face of kind of the new the new norm. <laughs> you know, Ben you Rubin think? will become <laughs> Ben Rubin will become a household name. Who do you trust? Who, who who are you paying special attention to? <laughs> and and when they talk, you just think, yes, yes, I trust them. I, I You're inspired by them. Do you know what? It's a really good question. I've been thinking about this recently because there is one guy in particular who I really liked, who I'm now looking at and going, I'm not so sure about this. Um, so actually, I don't, I, it's difficult to say. I, I trust, uh, I trust Tess Laurie because she's I to, well, because mm-hmm. she's way out ahead of mm-hmm. a lot of other people and she's done a really great thing and she's come at it in a systemic way and i read through the better way charter which is yeah. on the world council for health.org mm-hmm. website and i don't disagree with a single thing that it said that it says i i read it. it last week as well and yeah. i agree i read through it and i thought this is a perfect um yeah you know, what do you call kind of the corporate, not mantra, yeah. but uh, I I think it's wonderful. It's a strategy. So, yeah, mean, it's, it's, it's a strategy. Like, it's a it's strategy. Your... Let, let's mm-hmm. look at let's what's going on. Mm-hmm. What are the issues? How do we address them? Yeah. And it's and it's and it's very prescriptive. It's not like, um, you know, it's not you must do it in exactly this way. It's just like yeah. these are things we should be doing. And you read it and you go, and you go OK, well, you put it out into public domain. You're not trying to control the city. So no, I, I trust, very, I trust it's very this. decentralized. Yeah. So I, I yeah. Leave. you know what? I'm going to let you go. But before I do let you go, can you share with me how people can contact you? How can people follow you, support you? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Um, so the 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 two places that I'm hanging out the most at the minute, because I've got a load of links that I could describe to you, but it's probably easier just to direct you to Rise UK. R-I-S-E-U-K.substack.com. Okay. And so if, if you go into that and then on any of the posts on that page, there's a whole load of other links at the bottom of the post. So that's where you can find my Twitter and my Instagram and my Telegram link and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I encourage people to, uh, assuming that they like what I'm doing on there, to subscribe. That's a really good way mm-hmm. to support what I'm doing. 
thing is subscribing through Substack. There's also a buy me a coffee link on there as well. Okay. Um, uh, and similarly, as I mentioned before, of doing the Rise Project, which is much more about fighting corruption and unifying people, understanding what's going on, and but, but doing it like in quite a pugilistic way, like in your face, because that's the way to do it, right? But um, the the second project that i'm i'm doing is pattern 18 p-a-t-t-e-r-n 18.substack.com and that's much more about building out and i'm keeping those things separate because i want the the building out thing to be a positive unifying Mm -hmm. free from all of the controversy and the nastiness so that people can just go okay here's a brave new world and we're just going to forget about all that awful stuff Mm -hmm. that was happening even though i'm still involved in it and it's over there and you can come and look at it if you want to this place is where we're going to do the new stuff. And um, that's currently free. And what I'm doing, and this is depends exactly on, you know, but a few things that are happening even over the next couple of days. And I really like your idea about going to ARM and getting some people from there to come in and and, and uh, get involved in building the, the new system. But maybe mm-hmm. that's something I should go and do. Recruit them, you- yes. Yeah, but it's 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 essential. And, and I've done this a lot in my career, right? So I helped, you know, like, banks media companies payments companies like establish innovation labs you know their mm-hmm. r&d capabilities is a big part of what i was doing mm-hmm. so, but essentially we need a a, a freedom focused r&d lab that is experimenting a bit with technology but more importantly thinking about new ways to create human systems that can be scaled and to do that in a way that isn't necessary. I mean, so it's not that we, it's, it's not like a open-ended blank checkbook government program approach, right? Like mm-hmm. these things should be commercially successful and yeah. they should be revenue generating. Absolutely. Yeah. Not based but, on but, donation, but based on no. actual, you know, um, uh, the marketplace yeah. is a great place to be you know capitalism is good it, it yes. shouldn't be a swear word exactly, it's okay yeah. if people are making money but also yeah. you can make money and make the world a better place absolutely and mm-hmm. you don't have and you don't necessarily have to do it while playing the monopoly global platform game which is what everyone's been playing for the past 20 years right exactly and and that's what vc money's doing that's what a lot of these you know a lot of angel investments like okay well i'll put a hundred thousand in here and but you know and i'll do that in a portfolio of like 20 companies and then one of them will pop and i'll get like 100x or 200x return on my investment so okay that's cool and you know you probably want to carry on doing that as well that's fine but also like there's there are um there are different ways of investing that are, it's a bit less like casino like do you know what i mean because yeah. that's basically what you're doing at that point is but you're basically gambling yeah. right and and i think that there's a way of um uh of investing in long term growth that will pay back significantly over the long term not at the level of like a of a 200x or a thousand x you know some of these crazy multiples that people mm-hmm. have got have been early stage investors in facebook for example or any of those sorts of companies but because but but because we're going to put a cap on our growth ambition you know we want to have a huge societal impact yeah and we want to make money but we don't want to be the only player in the game and we don't want to take all of the money just for ourselves. And actually the, the much 
and the much bigger play and the bigger investment is about creating a system where everyone can thrive and everyone can win. Yeah. And we can do that. We just got to yeah. start playing the game in a slightly different way. And, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, as, as, uh, uh, difficult as a lot of these things sound, like, I think that that's entirely achievable actually, because it's much more how human nature is. Yeah. And I think that this sort of yeah. paradigm that we're in this, this very cold, ruthlessly capitalist, ruthlessly individualistic and self-interested paradigm that we're in is not a natural state for us yeah. at all. And actually, um, you know, I think we can break out of it pretty easily and we need to lead that, lead that from the top. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah, well, so Ben Rubin, I see a very bright future for you at so. taking the lead in an industry that you've excelled at in the past. You're taking the same skill set and leaning into something extremely worthwhile and very timely. We need people like you. And I hope uh, I hope people who have means contact you to say, I want to invest in you. Uh, I have a lot of clients who say, well, how should I invest my money? And it's hard for me, you know, because I say, well, invest in things that you believe in, but how do you find those? How do you find those projects that you believe in and you know there's not um, either corruption or greed involved? So this is this could be a very attractive um proposition for it's people. a whole new asset class it's a whole it's a whole new asset class but also it's a it's um it, you've got vision and if you could get teams of people who are competent who are dissidents or defectors from you know your industry wouldn't it be great yeah. if you could put them on task and say okay we need you to lean in on this and you're going to yeah yeah i mean they're all, they're, they're all there I can... they're all there and and all of these people i think we have to start reminding these people you have children or you have grandchildren how do you sleep at night i think we have to start pushing them a little bit because they don't want to think about it they're just mm. thinking about the moment and how much money they're making and their fabulous lifestyle and the powerful position that they've landed in but i think we have to remind them you know you are at the end of the day you're going to be remembered for how you made this world a better place. Yeah. Or there's, did there's, you? There's certainly a legacy piece in there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. also I think the most important thing is, 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 is actually, it was not the most important thing, but it is an important thing, right? Which is that actually behaving in a way that is systemically conscious and where mm -hmm. you create an environment where everybody can thrive is actually in your self-interest. Yes. Right. And, 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 and actually that, the way that we achieve collective progress prosperity well-being peace all of those things that we all mm -hmm. want right mm -hmm. it's when we when we begin to act in ways which are of universal benefit and not in and and not having that forced upon us by the state which is where a lot of this conversation is going on the, on the left at the moment really is sort of descending into like rabid communism and those people don't know what they're doing they don't know what they're talking about i mean mm -hmm. they're they're political theorists and they think that the political theory is the difficult bit and then as soon as they get into power they'll just be able to go yeah make that happen over there and it will just be done because that's easy and they've done mm -hmm. the hard job it's like no you don't understand anything about how the system works at all um and the, the the that is um and you know if these people get in charge then we're it's it's race to the bottom yeah it will yeah. get it will get real nasty 
Osti, right? And I've been to Cambodia. I've seen what they did to the Khmers. Like it was, it was genocide. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, it's the same ideological construct that's being foisted onto the West today, right? You yeah. know, this Shocking. social justice. I never, I never thought we'd see this. You know, if you had said to me five years ago, this is going to be the new reality, I would have said yeah. you're crazy. But we're there. And and your kids, I, I don't know. Um, like if you have kids or like people mm -hmm. who listen to this, if you've got kids and you're in, in, in their twenties or their teens, they are absolutely on board with this stuff. Right. And it's not a phase. Yeah. Like you need to get ahead of it and, and get ahead of it by speaking to them and helping them see that um, the Western system as ugly as it's become in places is not universally evil and actually there's a huge amount of good that exists here and it's not just this awful systemically racist and colonialist and nasty thing like there's actually a lot of stuff um going on here a lot of the culture a lot of the heritage that's incredibly valuable and positive and it needs to be protected and preserved Mm -hmm. But then, all, mm -hmm. but then, also get ahead of it by actually like heading off this, this, making it impossible for people to make that argument in the first place. Ultimately, yeah. right, and that's yeah. the key thing, and that's by building a system that does actually work, but doing it based on our principles, not on ones that have been imported from elsewhere, because that's mm -hmm. not going to work. Well, so. Ben, this has been a very interesting conversation. I so appreciate the time that you've taken. You've been very generous with your time. And I just appreciate, oh, I, I really appreciate uh, this conversation. So let's stay in touch. And yes. uh, may you hear from lots of uh, viewers who want Thank to, so uh, who want to participate in, in kind of this new, the new plan. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's do it guys. Come yes. on. And then, and you, and Marion, you're going to go and enjoy the sunshine and your beautiful view. Absolutely. And... <laughs> yes. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care. And Take we'll care. speak soon. Okay.